Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are talking about the best movie in the Harry Potter franchise, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, 2004, directed by Alfonso Cuaron, um, the most beautiful movie in the series. So our patron that we're thanking for this episode is... Beth, who is who is my mother so thank you very much we appreciate everything you do including giving birth to me because this podcast wouldn't be here if it weren't for you and including knitting me a sweater which i'm anxiously awaiting yeah um but so this episode is coming out on september 29th how many days are in september is it 30 30 days has september so you have one more day if you're listening to this at like on date of release to enter our giveaway to win a Hogwarts puzzle, a Leviosa button, a Ron pin, sticker. a wizard Leviosa study. sticker. Sorry, Leviosa sticker, Ron pin, wizard study sticker. And depending on how I'm feeling, I might throw in some extra wizard study stuff just because I have it. Ooh. <laughs> Um, and how you enter this giveaway is that you send us a question about anything. All of the questions we've gotten so far have been about Harry Potter, and that's fine. But I was kind of hoping for some more personal questions. We can get a little juicy up in here. Um, Katie, you want to ask me anything? But and nobody I... nobody cares about our personal lives, apparently. So that's fine. They're not that interesting anyways, if I'm being honest. Um but yeah, you can send us in a question on any form of social media to our Gmail, whatever way is easiest for you. And then don't forget about your second entry. You can get a second one if you like prove to us or tell us that you left a review. You'll get two entries for it. So I think that this is a great prize pack. I like really want that puzzle now because <laughs> puzzles are awesome. I almost yeah. bought two of them so that I could have one for myself. <laughs> and then I almost, when I didn't, I convinced myself not to buy two of them. And then when I got home with the puzzle, I was like, I could just open the puzzle. Yeah, and, and do just it. Really and just careful put it back not in the box. to lose any pieces. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, true. But I did not open the puzzle. You'll, t- you'll be able to tell. It's like, how many pieces is it? Is it 500 or 1,000? It's 500. It's a good size. Um. Yeah, and I also want to say, We've had quite a few entries so far, but only one person has doubled their entries. So it's so simple to just leave us a review. And if you do that, you double your chances. And that would look really good because not a lot of people have done that. So I'm just saying. Yeah. It's a low, low your percentage cost, goes, benefit. Yeah, I was going to say, your, percent, like your chance of winning goes up quite a bit because not very many people have two entries yeah just saying all right so anyway the other piece of news relevant to the week that we are recording this is that the author of the series jk rowling um we recently found out what her latest book is about i 
think that this book is being published under one of her pseudonyms. I think that I don't. I have no idea what the title of the book is, um, but we just found out that it is about a. It's like about a de detective looking into the case of a cis man, serial killer or murderer who dresses as woman in order to um, be violent and kill women, be violent towards and kill women. So. This, of course, falls into one of the number one transphobic tropes that if you did your homework when I assigned it and watched Disclosure, you'll be all knowledgeable on this, um, just about the idea that trans women are like masquerade men masquerading as women in order to like commit violence against cis women. And this, of course, is not anything near the truth. Um, trans people are actually way more likely to be survivors of violence and have violence committed against them than they are to be perpetrators of violence. So just wanted to encourage everyone to kind of do your homework, understand why these things are transphobic. And the main reason that we're bringing this up, which is why we bring it up every time that, um, the author says something is just to say that like for both of us Katie and I um, had a conversation about this before coming on air today and we have conversations about this a lot for both of us we've kind of dealt with our feelings on JKR and have have separated the series from her a lot um, over the past you know year or so that things have really come to a head or six months or so that things have really come to a head with her transphobic views not to say that they weren't always there but now it's like impossible to ignore them so we want to say that we as a podcast are open to everyone we hope that everyone can feel welcome with us and within the broader harry potter fandom and we are understanding if you feel like you need to take a break from harry potter um i think that makes a lot of sense especially if something is if this is personal to you if you are a trans or non-binary or gender non-confirming person um who listens to our podcast who loves the series it makes sense <laughs> and and i think we want to reiterate just again and again how open we are and how how much we want everyone to feel safe and welcomed into our community but if you need to take a step back um do what's best for you think is the the message yeah for sure i think that like what audrey was alluding to or mentioned earlier we did talk about this before and both of us are just like extremely frustrated that we have to like continue to talk about her and the harmful effects that she has on the community like once a month for the past six months and i think it's I like while I do think it's very important for us to call out her behavior and like understand why it's wrong and maybe maybe learn from it isn't the right phrase but you know kind of like be more informed in our everyday lives people mm -hmm. who maybe weren't as informed before but it's also just kind of like I just want to sit and enjoy my series and have this woman fade off into the background and never have to hear her name again. So if you're feeling like that, I feel you because that is mo that's like mainly my feeling on it at the moment. 
And I do want to reiterate what Audrey was saying before that we just want to make sure that you guys all know that we are a very open community and our community can be completely separate from the one that JK Rowling created because this one is ours. We created this shit. (laughs) Your name isn't in the intro of the podcast now, is it? Because it's our names. (laughs) Katie and Audrey. (laughs) Katie and Audrey. I was talking to jk rowling her name isn't in the podcast mm-hmm. at the beginning of the podcast it's our name so it's ours okay we as audrey mentioned earlier we're talking about the prisoner of azkaban film today i i really have been loving doing these film reviews and i know that like some of you guys have actually let us know that you're really enjoying them as well so i love that because they're so much fun I do want to be super transparent with you guys and come clean about the fact that I did not read The Prisoner of Azkaban before watching this movie. Like, I know that we... I knew you weren't going to read it. You were like, I can record whenever. I was like, oh, she's definitely not reading. Okay, I really tried my best. I really tried my best because I want... so. I wasn't going to start reading until we had a date picked out because I like I was planning on reading it in like two days, one day, like right before I watched the movie. And then Audrey sprung Wednesday on me on Monday when I had to edit on Monday and then watch the movie on Tuesday. So I just like physically did not have time. I'm not blaming okay. Audrey. She said that we could have done Thursday and I was like, Wednesday's fine, whatever. I'll try to make it work. Did not make it work. I have listened to over half of the book. That's fine. I But some of that was post watching the movie as well. So I don't have as many nitpicks about what is cut out from the movie, but Audrey has a lot more notes than I do, so Audrey's gonna handle I've, that today. Yeah. <laughs> I wanna I wanna preface this episode with saying that I like I did read Prisoner um so one of us read it it's fine um, <laughs> we're halfway there I um have a lot of notes and I have a lot of nitpicks but just in general this is my favorite movie in the series um so I'm gonna be like picky but just just you wait until later on like when we get to the other other movies because I think this is like this is kind of the last one that is anywhere near the book yeah i have a lot of those kind of thoughts in my final thoughts but yeah so we're going to talk about casting and then we created another like a special we included special effects up here because i went off on them in the first movie (laughs) so we're going to talk about some here too but the first casting decision we're going to talk about is gary oldman as Sirius black and so I really do think that he's a good serious. Um, I know that he's a little bit old. We already talked about that with Snape. We'll bring it up again with Lupin. So I don't really know if that's like a valid criticism of him because they're all older, you know? So like, I don't know. Like the whole generation yeah. is a lot older than they should have been. I do think that they do a really great job of like transforming him into Sirius Black because he looks so different in this movie than any other mm-hmm. movie that he's in like it is wild to me he looks so and different he like that yes like he, him as Sirius Black and him Gary Oldman totally different um but also just even within like 
serious in this movie versus serious in like five yeah he looks so different and i think they do a really good job of like making him look like he's been in azkaban for 12 years yeah i do have a specific critique um and this is i'm gonna ask audrey about this because like i said i did not reread the book but in specifically in this scene in the shrieking shack like when the whole confrontation goes down between everybody involved he is playing Sirius black like so shouty and so angry and i think we've talked about this maybe in the serious episode or maybe in the peter episode that he like makes it very like he makes it hard to believe him when he's saying some of these things mm-hmm. like when we're when we try like when we find out that he wasn't the one who betrayed the potters like he's doing himself no favors in this scene because he is just being so like shouty and aggressive and like very vague and i think like in the movie they play that up to make the reveal even like more surprising um and i don't and then he cuts to like so nurturing and so quiet and so kind when they're out like on the hogwarts grounds and he's talking to harry and he's like you know we could live together and all these things and it's just like such a complete 180 so quickly that it really Mm -hmm. bothered me but again like i don't know if that's what it's like in the book or not but it is very like jarring to see that quick change yeah so I'm I'm just like flipping back through the book because I don't think it's that extreme in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, they spend a lot of time in the Shrieking Shack in the book, but I just like flipping through. <laughs> the only like caps lock people are Harry and Snape. So just from that, like Sirius did not yell. Yeah. To that extent, like I I feel like he could have yelled but like there's like a difference between like caps lock harry and like harry yelling so yeah Sirius never gets to like caps lock serious um i think he's like super he they get right in the beginning how he's like kind of super he's super focused just on scabbers yeah. and then once remus shows up he like definitely calms down a lot and, like, things become a lot clearer. Like, okay, he's not an immediate threat. Like, Remus is here. Yeah. So, and then, again, I think he gets a little wound up again when Snape shows up. But it's definitely not as angry, mad, out of control as they portray in the movie. Yeah, I'm like, I mean, I have no problem with Sirius being portrayed as, like, deranged. Because, like, he should be kind of crazy. Like, after being yeah. asked Azkaban for that so for that long but like the thing that gets me is just like the quick 180 with like no real time in between where it's just like oh so we know that he's not bad so like everything is good now yeah you know yeah and And i'm sure that that probably is not a gary oldman decision it's probably like how he was asked to play that but just like a specific nitpick with how serious is portrayed like acting wise in the movie and I think that that does, the parts of it that are accurate to the book is, like, him talking to Harry about, like, moving in with him. Like, that happens in the tunnel in the book, but yeah. it's a very similar conversation, and, like, he does become very gentle. The one big difference is, like, when they're back at the castle in the movie, um, him and Harry have, like, it's a brief conversation, but they have a conversation, and in the book there's like no time literally all Sirius says is like you really are your father's son 
Yeah. Um, and it's, like, said with love, but it's not, like, this heartfelt thing, like, where he's, like, telling, crying about Harry's eyes and, like, yeah. um, telling him, like, the ones that love us never truly leave us. Like, yeah. none of that happens. Mm. So I think maybe that is what makes it more jarring, and that's definitely movie writing, but... He does, well, series in the book also does ask about Ron, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, but those are all the notes I had, like, on Gary Oldman specifically. We don't see a whole bunch of him in this movie. I guess we never really see more of him, though. Like, we see him yeah. briefly in Order of the Phoenix. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in general, his, like, role was kind of scaled back in the movies. Yeah, so. for sure. Alright, so then next up is David Thewlis as Remus Lupin. Um, and again, same comment with all the Marauders. Looking kind of old. Um, definitely would have been better, but generally... Definitely would have been better if he was younger. Um, but generally, I like him as Lupin. I don't really have any complaints. I don't think it's like a perfect casting, but I think he does capture the kind of like gentle, reserved side of Lupin that you really see in this book um when he's interacting with harry that he like clearly cares about harry and like wants to spend some time with him but but is careful not to get too close and actually in the movie they write in a lot more about lupin talking to harry about his parents which doesn't happen as much in the book but i do think he like has the right kind of energy for lupin that i've always imagined yeah i also just quick note about david thulis he is in so much stuff he was in wonder woman he was in yeah. um oh i forget what it's called but we watch on i watch on amazon prime and i think i mentioned this like when i watch it that watched it that david thulis was in it, it was oh, about like yeah. the murder about that. and yeah. then he's also in that new like creepy ish movie on netflix i'm thinking of ending things um, which is by the same director of like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, or I don't know what that movie is, but it's like a like psychologically very creepy. And I was watching the preview, and I was like, "Is that Remus Lupin?" And it was. <laughs> but he, I That's just feel funny. like he's in so much stuff. And I know like Gary Oldman, people always talk about like how he's like a pretty well-established actor on his own. And I'm pretty sure he has an Oscar for maybe portraying Churchill in something oh really or like a real like a it was like a biopic type movie and he played yeah. like a real person churchill's the only person i can think of that may not be right but it, like it was a couple years ago and then he was in the batman movies too the ones with not ben affleck the one the guy before yeah. that christian bale um, christian bale winston churchill in the darkest hour i didn't know he played he also looks very style. different in that movie. He was well. nominated. <laughs> oh, okay. nominated and won. Yeah, and won. I was a good say. I think I remember watching his like acceptance speech. Huh. But yeah, so both like pretty well established, like well known actors. Yeah. So the next rounding out the Marauders that we see in this movie is Timothy Spall as Peter Pettigrew. Um, I really like oh. this casting. I think he does a great job. He's very, like, no offense to this actor, but I assume it's probably a good deal of makeup. But he looks very rat-like. 
Um, I like can't they, even like look at him in this movie. It's so <laughs> gross. Yeah, and like his mannerisms, like when he's like biting his teeth, and I love that they really played it up because they talk about in the books like the longer you are that like the animal yeah. that you turn into an animagus, like the more you. Like, when you do turn back into a person, you still have those mannerisms. I think Voldemort might have mentioned that or some something. We definitely hear that in the book. So I love that they played it up a lot in this movie because he'd been a rat for, like, 12 years at this point. Yeah. So um, they really sell it. And he really isn't in any of the other movies. Slash, I don't even know if he has any lines in any of the other movies because, like, he just dies in seven. I think we might see four? him in six. Do you th- I guess he says a vada kadabra in four. And he like forces Harry onto the gravestone and he makes the he says the thing about the potion. Yeah, the, he like, does narrate the potion. The servant, like. But like because in the beginning Barty Crouch is in the riddle house. Yeah. Like yeah. he doesn't have any lines then because Barty Crouch is the one that they show in the riddle yeah. house. I was thinking about the graveyard. Yeah. So he just like he's like I talked about with Sirius his role is like significantly cut back and he's kind of like in the rest of the movies but mostly just as like whenever there's Death Eaters you also have Timothy Spall as Peter Pettigrew not really like the prominent character or the more prominent character he is in the movies and then in the books sorry in the books what else is Timothy Spall in I meant to look this up he's an enchanted okay I just looked it up um that was like the first thing that came up and i was like that must be what i'm thinking of yeah but he's an enchanted um he's in the king's speech Hmm. i don't remember that apparently he's in series of unfortunate events i don't remember that either the movie or the probably plays similar the the movie the 2004 movie probably plays similar characters in all 2004 Wow, he filmed Same both these movies. Yeah. yeah, very quickly. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Um, the last... Or no, not the last one. <laughs> the next one is Emma Thompson as Trelawney. And we talked about this a bit um, on our Trelawney episode recently. But I think she's awesome. I mean, she's one of those characters or like actor-character pairing that I can't separate the two um as in like my Trelawney in my head is always Emma Thompson's Trelawney and I think she also is an actor that totally gets transformed oh my god has a lot of clout outside of Harry Potter um and is like unrecognizable as Trelawney they cut her a ton from this but I I love her I think like she's really entertaining yeah um, just like a a plug for an Emma Thompson movie. If you haven't seen Saving Mr. Banks, it's on Netflix. I think. oh, I haven't seen that yet. It's really good. Um, I mean, if you like, if you're a Disney fan, it will probably mean a little bit more to you. But like, Tom Hanks plays Walt Disney. Like, come on. <laughs> like, what mm-hmm. more do you need in a movie? <laughs> um, and it's like, it's actually pretty serious. Like, I cry when I watch it. It's like. Wow, Katie cry. I cry a lot in movies. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's really good. I highly recommend. 
So the last casting, I really don't have any, not very many notes on this anyways, um, Michael Gambon as Dumbledore. So this is the first movie that we see him playing Dumbledore because in the first two, like we mentioned, it was Richard Harris. I feel like we talked a lot about this when the first yeah. one because we kind of compared the two. And I don't know if I have a lot to say about his performance in this movie specifically either. I think he does a good job. Um, I will... No, I'll talk about that in the when we go through the movie. Um, yeah, I have some issues with lines they gave him, but yeah, like I don't know. I think he does a fun job, like a, a fine job. And then in the scene where he's kind of like telling Hermione what to do, that's kind of like amusing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's like when he kind of like closes the door and is like, two spins should do it. I think that's like one of the, like the closest times we get to him being that kind of like twinkle in the eye, mysterious kind of mm-hmm. older Dumbledore like we got with Richard Harris. Like it's not super, like he's not, he doesn't, he still doesn't really have the twinkle in his eye, but that kind of like he knows everything, like, yeah, kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's not... He just plays him so much funnier than Richard Harris. Or at least the writing gives him, like, more funny moments. Like, the scene where he is telling Hermione about that. I feel like it's kind of humorous. Like, Harry's like, what the fuck is happening? Hermione's, like, slapping his hand. And Dumbledore is kind of, like, sweeping around. And then in the Hagrid's hut, like, when he distracts I think that's fudge. so funny. Yeah, like, and I don't I don't have problems with those scenes. But it's yeah. just so different from, like, Richard Harris's portrayal. Like, they didn't yeah. give him any funny moments. Which, like, I don't know the the problem is i really like those scenes and i think they're really funny but it's like should i like should a dumbledore scene be funny and like i know that he's kind of like an eccentric quirky guy but i don't know mm-hmm. it's just such a different portrayal of dumbledore yeah okay so then switching kind of to special effects um the dementors i don't have a ton to say i think I did, I threw this in here as something to talk about because I did notice in the first scene with them when they're they're on the Hogwarts Express, they look really weird for some reason. They look kind of like robotic to me. Um, I don't know if it's like seeing them in the closed space and it's like something about when they're in the air and they can like make it look more like floaty. Um, but I really didn't like them in that scene. And then afterwards, I think they're pretty good. I think that they, like, float pretty naturally. The one thing is that I don't really like how you, like, see their mouth and the way that their mouths look. Um, I think this is during the, like, scene by the lake where you see it. Um, I don't like that. It might be also in the Quidditch scene. But, like, I think the, like, way they move is fine. Which I guess is, like, the main special effect. I don't know. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that they actually, like, filmed, um, like, robes underwater to get that effect of the floating. I think it looks fine. Um, I do think that they probably added, because even in the train scene, you can kind of see, like, their skeletal face-looking thing, like, Mm -hmm. covered in... I don't know whatever it is that's like gray and slimy and gross i do think that they did that to be a little bit scarier to like make them scarier 
because in the books like you always say that you can't really see anything under their hoods um and i think they add that just to make it creepier and scarier yeah so next i'm going to talk about the animagus transformation and werewolf transformations um I really like the Peter transformation. I think it looks really good. Oh, it's really it's, good, but it's so gross. Yeah, it's like the midpoint, like when he's half rat and half human is like bleh, very jarring. Um, but I think it's so, I think it looks really good, honestly. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think we ever really see Sirius transform. Like we might see him like in the background, like shadow type thing go from like human to dog. But, like, yeah. the dog-to-human transformation happens off-camera. And then the werewolf... They, oh, or I'll talk about that later. Go ahead to werewolf. Um, the werewolf transformation, I don't know how I feel about it. Like, I think it looks pretty good. Um, I know that they did as much of that practically as they could. So, like, David Thewlis had, like, four different, like outfits and like rigs to Mm. wear going from human to werewolf and i think they just like blended those together so they did as much practically as they could and i think that was like probably a good move because like the animation still isn't like the best like the cgi capabilities still aren't the best and as you can notice this especially when harry's riding buckbeak um or like when buckbeak is taking off it looks so bad so I think that they tried to kind of like hide that the best that they could. And I don't really have a problem with the transformation per se. I just honestly don't know how I feel about the end product. I feel yeah, like that's I don't, the problem. Yeah. I don't like the way they make the werewolf look. Like, I don't know if I have any suggestions on what I would have rather it looked like. But I don't know if I love the way that they, like, he, the werewolf does not look very wolf-like at yeah, all. Yeah, the shape is... The shape is weird, but I think one of, like, minor thing that could make it a lot better is, like, giving him more hair. Yeah. Or fur. He, like, looks very, like, bald for a werewolf. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I think So I think, I do... like, that's a minor thing they could have just, like, filled in. I don't know. The shape, I just don't know what they could have done, but it looks weird. Yeah. I will say that the silhouette of, like, lupin as the werewolf kind of like howling with the moon in the Mm. background i think that That looks looks good like the shape there looks really good it also is just kind of weird to me in general to have the werewolf like walking on two legs most of the time yeah um i don't know again like i don't really have that much of a problem with the transformation it is like really creepy looking and is not one of my favorite things in the movie but I don't have any, like, constructive criticism to give them, I guess. Yeah. Okay, and then the last one, which I just included because I feel like I talked about it a lot, about how much I hated it in the last movie, is The Whomping Willow. Um, it's so much better in in Prisoner than it is in Chamber, which I think is why I noticed it in Chamber for, like, one of the first times. Is like, I was just expecting it to look like it did in Prisoner. Um but in this movie, it does a lot more, like, sweeping movements, and it looks more, like, natural. I know, like, a moving tree isn't natural, but um, it just, like, looks more like branches moving um, instead of, like, stabbing and stuff. There are a few... So they, like, Katie talked about this last time, they do a lot of, like, the close-ups so that they can 
just have certain things move and not like a big picture and they definitely still do a lot of the close-ups but there are some wide views um in the scene where harry and hermione are kind of getting like spun around and i think it look the tree looks pretty good yeah i would agree i do have some other problems with that scene but we'll talk about that later yeah (laughs) so starting out this opening scene though (laughs) oh like okay it's it's so dumb it's so dumb magic and like honestly what makes it that much worse is that like harry doing magic outside of school is a plot point later in the movie like literally five minutes later yeah maybe if that wasn't in that movie it would be kind of like oh they just wanted to remind us that this is a magic movie and there's magic in it like you know but then it's literally a plot point later in the movie that Harry is, like, worried about getting expelled because he does magic and gets in trouble for it. Or, like, doesn't really get in trouble, but, like, should have. I yeah. just can't. <laughs> I also... Uh, like, okay. Get past the him doing magic outside of school thing. What is he supposed to be doing? Is he practicing casting Lumos? Like, is that... Like... Or is he, like, casting Lumos so that he can read the book? But he's, like, doing Lumos Maxima. Like, is that that much harder than Lumos? Like, I thought he had Lumos down by now. It's so confusing. I mean, he does do Lumos later in the movie pretty pretty easily, so. It just, like, doesn't make sense if he's, like, I don't don't know what they're getting at there. But the way it's supposed to open is, like, him, he's, like, studying. He has a ton of essays to write and everything. And it is at night, but, like, he's doing it by the light of his lamp, like a normal person. Um, you know, electricity. Like um, and it's, like, his birthday eve, like, or he looks up and it's his birthday in the morning. Yeah. Like, past midnight. Um, and he gets presents from on Hermione and Hagrid, so you miss all of that. Like, you miss Hagrid giving him the monster book of monsters which is why they have to have like fudge get him his books later which was weird yeah they also Um, cut out hermione's like broom service book or whatever that she gets him which like becomes a plot point later when aunt marge shows up but since they also cut out that stuff with aunt marge like it doesn't really make a difference yeah they also cut out ron's sneakoscope yeah which does kind of make a difference because that's like that's a hint yeah anyway um you want to say your thing about Aunt Petunia oh I really liked this opening and I'd never noticed this before but like so Harry goes Lumos Maxima the screen lights up we get the Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban like title card and then it cuts to black and Aunt Petunia is like get up get up and like badgering him like get downstairs or whatever like Aunt Marge is coming and it calls back to sorcery stone because that also opens up with like mm. black screen and petunia badgering him about like to get into the kitchen and start making bacon for yeah dudley's birthday and i thought that was really cool because like i said i'd never thought about that before but since we talked it like since we went through in depth the sorcery stone movie i'd remembered that and it's like very similar to the opening yeah, scene of sorcery cool. stone 
So then Aunt Marge shows up, and it's supposed to, like, she's supposed to be there for, like, a whole week, um, and the, like, glass breaking actually happens at a lunch earlier in the week, and then, like, the incident of her blowing up actually just happens, like, on its own, um, the last night she's there. It makes sense to condense all of this, though. Like, I don't need more time with Aunt Marge and the Dursleys, so, like, they really get out of, in and out of Privet Drive real quick, and I'm fine with it. Yeah. Also, comment on, like, Dan looking like an actual person and not yeah. a literal baby. And he had his shirt tucked in in one scene <laughs> where he was, like, drying the dishes, and it was so cute. Yeah, I do think that Daniel Radcliffe is, like, the best looking in this movie. Um, both, like, for Harry and, like, I don't know, like, Daniel Radcliffe no offense but like he's not the most attractive man yeah. and like basically yeah. when he hit like five maybe and then like six and seven it's like oh he's not as cute as he was when he was a child so <laughs> yeah. his hair is actually messy in this movie and i yeah, am living for it yeah so then marge yeah, the incident with Marge. I'm, like, very shocked both when I read this book and when I watch this movie every time that, like, they say the word bitch in it. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, like, I understand that it's, like, a female dog. dog but yeah. yeah. But it's still just, like, oh, wow, they went for it. And then, so Aunt Marge isn't really supposed to float up into the sky and yeah. disappear. She she's just kind of, like... to stay in the house. Yeah, she's just in the house. Um, I think it's, like, really comical when the buttons fly off and hit Dudley. I think that was, like, a fine change to make to make it more of, like, a funny scene to add to it. Um, I don't think Dudley has any speaking lines in this movie at all. Yeah, he just, like, laughs a couple times. Yeah, he's, like, watching the TV the entire time we see him. <laughs> yeah. I like how they show, like, when they show Aunt Marge flying away, and then they, like, go back in the house, and Dudley's just, like, standing there watching TV. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I have a question. I've always, like, never fully understood this, and I feel like it's a stupid question. But, so, you know, Aunt Marge is floating up, Vernon grabs her hand, the dog is on Vernon's ankle, and he starts to, like, float away. And Aunt Marge looks at him and goes, don't you dare. And then he, like, says sorry and, like, let's go. Is she saying don't you dare in reference to, like, him trying to kick the dog off of his foot? Or is she saying don't you dare as in, like, don't let me go? I think it's don't you dare let go. Okay. But then he lets go right after. And, like, is he saying sorry because, like, he knows he's about to let go? Like, sorry. Yeah. I think okay. he's, like, he can't hold it like yeah. anymore and she's like don't you dare like i don't know okay that's how i've I always been confused it. um also in the book harry like makes a run for it immediately like amar's like isn't even fully floating yet and he's like getting blast. shit and out the door um so there isn't really that much of a run-in with vernon i think like vernon does like yell at him to like make her right or something but yeah um you bring her back you bring her back now yeah he he he's harry still makes a run for it pretty quickly in the movie it's just like astonishingly fast in the book but he like goes up and like slams his bedroom door and like sits on the bed and like huffs and puffs yeah. and then yeah and pack. he like looks at the photo of his parents yeah 
but like in the book he's like he's like moving yeah yeah and then so kind of along with what we were talking about earlier about the presence not showing up we don't really have get an explanation as to why Hedwig isn't at Four Privet Drive when he leaves because like in the move or in the book he grabs yeah. her empty cage because he knows that she's gone. But in this there's just like he doesn't have the cage with him because he just yeah. has his luggage when he's getting yeah. on the night bus and then she just shows up at the leaky cauldron. But like in the book she had been sent where she had been sent in response to Oh, yeah. Because he had just gotten all of this stuff from Hermione and yeah. Ron. And, and she was, like, it. escorting Errol back to the burrow, basically. Yeah, because Errol's struggling. Yeah. We also don't hear about the phone call. Yeah, the phone call. That's uh, true. So good. Something else that we don't hear about, which is more plot-based than the phone call, um, is serious, like... I really like in the book how Sirius escaping has made its way into the muggle world. Yeah. And you don't hear about that in the movie at all. So it's kind of like, I don't, I just like having that introduction in the muggle world and then learning that he's a wizard. Yeah. Um, my next note is about the playground being like super creepy. Like when stuff starts moving on its own, I'm like, what is happening? Also, like, why does that happen? I don't know. I was I didn't even write a note about that, but I was thinking that. I was like, that doesn't make sense that this happened. Also, how many playgrounds are in walking distance of Fort Privet Drive? Because it's a different playground in Order of the Phoenix that we see him sitting on the swings yeah. at. Um, but anyways. <laughs> it's the suburbs. <laughs> what you um, And before? then the night bus. Yeah, I love Stan. I my comment is wow, Stan really looks like he could be a Death Eater. <laughs> uh, I love his accent. They make it so good because in the book it's written as like "you fell over for" and like he yeah. like his dialect is written not dialect I guess um like his accent is written into the book kind of like Hagrid's is and like yeah. they do a really good job keeping it sounding like that in the movies. Yeah. And I, like, I love the depiction of the night bus in general. I think it's fun. It's a great scene. I love, like, watching it squeeze through. I love the talking head. Yeah, the talking head is an addition that's not in the book. It is just Stan and Ernie. Yeah. But I just think it's fun. And then Harry also never pays for his ticket on the night bus in the movie. Like, there was no exchange of currency also, Harry is supposed to be on the night bus for, like, the entire night because there are other customers, not just him. Because, um, like, he doesn't get to the leaky cauldron. Like, I think he mentions that, like, the sun is starting to rise. And he's supposed to say he's Neville. And there's a lot of yeah. little things, but. Yeah. He was supposed to get a hot chocolate. So then, um, the leaky cauldron? Yeah. Lunch? Yep. Again, doesn't have his lime green bowler hat. I'm very disappointed. Oh, I know. I Yeah, I didn't even comment on it because we talked about it last time. But yeah, yeah. it's sad. And then uh, it's like really weird and confusing because it seems like this is like Fudge was just like waiting in an office. Yeah, that's why I was confused cauldron. about like does Fudge just and, have an office in the Leaky Cauldron that like he can use sometimes? Yeah, and, like, when did he get the books? Because this is the middle of the night. Like, none of it makes sense. No, it really doesn't. 
And they also skip your favorite part. I know. I have a note in here that says R.I.P. to my main man, Florian Fortescue. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I get why they cut it. Yeah. But I feel like it's sad that we don't even get to see Diagon Alley in this movie, too. Like, at least have Harry run into Ron and Hermione there. Instead of them just, like, randomly being in in the The Leaky Cauldron the next day. Yeah. Yeah, there's also, like, it implies that there's, like, what, one night in between him getting there and, like, the Weasley yeah. showing up and then them going to the Hogwarts Express. Well, he's there for, like, a week or two in the books. I actually think it might be three weeks. I wrote yeah. week in my notes, but I think it might be three weeks. Um, yeah, so, like, I get why they didn't show it. Like, it wouldn't have been super interesting. But I do think they, that they could have definitely, like, he could have just been sitting outside of a storefront that said Florian Fortescue's. And then, mm-hmm. like, Ron and Hermione are like, what up, Harry? Yeah. The firebolt. Like, you don't get that. Yeah. Because that comes up later. And, like, they totally got the firebolt out. Like, I know, honestly. Until that last scene, which is terrible. So, honestly obviously it's not going to be in the beginning of this movie if it's like not even a plot point later but it's just like i feel like that's such a big part of this book yeah um and for those that want to keep up with my spreadsheet of prices in the wizarding world so i don't think we get any prices in this section in Diagon Alley but Hermione does mention that she has 10 galleons left over and I think she like she doesn't flat out say this but like it's implied she's like my parents gate like my birthday's coming up next weekend or something mm-hmm. like just extra pocket money so I don't know if like she's implying that all of those 10 galleons are basically just like spending money for her birthday like will she also get a present in conjunction with that um mm. But just that, and then the fireball is priced upon request, so... Yes, so you know it's big money. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also, like, such cute scenes with Hermione, or with Harry and Diagon Alley, where he's like, it took everything in me to, like, not buy the gold, like, to buy all the of this stuff. Gobstones. Yeah, but it's also so cute because he's like, he thinks about it, he goes, like... I, I need this money to last me until I graduate Hogwarts. Yeah. Like, I can't ever ask the Dursleys for money, so what am I going to do? So it's kind of cute that he understands that and, like, is already kind of managing his money. Yeah, he also, like, buys himself new um, robes. robes. It's like he grew, so he makes some smart purchases. Yeah. Yeah. So then the next, like, big thing I feel like is... Harry's supposed to overhear Molly and Arthur talking about Sirius and then like when Arthur starts to tell him when they're on the platform at King's Cross he's like I heard like you don't have to like break your your word to the ministry that you won't tell me anything yeah but this is kind of like the first instance where Harry's like hearing that there's some tie between him and Sirius and then the conversation that Arthur has with him about, like, promise me you won't go looking for him and all of that. Like, that's kind of similar to what it is in the book, but they do just cut out Harry overhearing and the fact yeah. that there's, like, more of a mystery to it. Yeah, and then another thing that gets 
cut out just as a consequence of them not showing diagonally is Hermione buying Crookshanks. Like Hermione just already has Crookshanks when we first see them in the Leaky Cauldron. Um, I will say that there's definitely a lot more emphasis on Scabbers. Like we have that scene of Mrs. Weasley like holding Scabbers and like running up to hand Scabbers to Ron on the platform. And like Mm -hmm. this is in my overall thoughts, but I'll talk just like a second about it here. I think that the movie, what a consequence of them cutting out so much stuff, like granted, it's not the worst adaptation, but they still cut out big, like big things. They cut out quite a bit. Yeah. A consequence of them doing that a lot of the times is that there's not as many hints towards the big reveals that we get at the Mm. end of the movie. So like, it's not quite as satisfying. It doesn't like fit as well together. Cause like, we don't hear that Scabbers isn't feeling well. Like, we don't see him, Haran, to go get, like, rat tonic for him and, like, hear about how he's losing weight and, like, not eating and losing hair. Just, like, with some of the other reveals, too, like, we don't get um, Snape coming in to give Lupin a potion and Harry seeing that and being like, oh, is Snape trying to poison Lupin? But it's really just Wolfsbane. So just, like, in general, there aren't as many hints to the reveals at the end. So I feel like it makes the reveals not as satisfying. But it still is, like, they still make it cinematic in that last scene just because it is so, like, dramatic. You know, if that makes sense. I will say... Because I think that, like, the setup of the reveal in the books for um, Prisoner and Goblet is similar with, like, a lot of hints and stuff. And at least in Prisoner, they kept, like, a few of those hints. In Goblet, they just cut all of them out. Yeah. The the Goblet movie is so bad, but... (sighs) Yeah, we're not going to talk about it. (laughs) I mean, we are, Um, but, like, not now. (laughs) Yeah. So, also, them going to the train, um, they're supposed to take cars, and I feel like this is, like, the one time that they're, like, kind of on time. (laughs) I think they're still, like, rushing to get in the cars, but I I think they, like, make it to the station with, like, a good ten minutes to spare in the book or something like that. Yeah. Um, But in the movie, it has them late again, and it doesn't show how they get to the station, which, like, it's a fine thing to cut out, but... yeah. It's just kind of funny because I feel like this is, like, maybe the one time that they're, like, almost on time and they make them late. <laughs> yeah, they also cut out, sorry, I know that we've been talking about this, like, hogs or diagonally, like, leaky cauldron section for so long. But they also cut out, like, Percy being head boy and, like, Fred and George stealing yeah. his badge and yeah. just, like, making fun of him incessantly. And then, like, Percy gets mad at Ron when, like, because he thinks Ron stole his badge. Um and just, like, I had, I paid more attention to that because we just, like, recently recorded our Percy episode and, like, his relationships yeah. with the family. But that was sure. all cut out. Um, it's on his suitcase. Ronald is a great yeah. one. <laughs> um, but also, <laughs> like she sorry. Full names him. <laughs> Hermione full names Ronald a lot in this movie. It's um, so funny. Also, but qu- super quickly, um... I have, like, watched an interview with Chris Rankin or listened to... I forget how I learned this. But um, if you look at the Daily Prophet photo, um, you can see that he has his head boy badge, like, on his fez that he's wearing um, Mm. in the photo from Egypt. And, like, Chris Rankin 
made that decision. He was like, no, I want the head boy. Like, Percy would do this. That's funny. Um, And also, with that photo, it's the only time we see Charlie Weasley in the movies. Because there are seven kids. Yeah. I assume Bill is a different actor than Domhnall Gleeson, or however you pronounce his first name. I think so, yeah. But... Um, so yeah, Hogwarts Express, I said TBT to when we were on the Hogwarts Express and the Dementors came. It was so scary. Yeah. That also happens, like, when you're on the Hogwarts Express at Universal. Um, and I was riding in, like, a compartment by myself when this happened, and so it was, like, extra creepy, (laughs) because you can, like, see the shadow of the hand outside your, like, door, because they have, like, projections, and I was just sitting there by myself, like... (laughs) kind of freaking out but it's fine that's funny so then um in the book Ginny and neville are supposed to like come running into their compartment for the dementor attack but Ginny is like not in this movie she has one line (laughs) classic um yeah so neville and Ginny are supposed to be in there and then the the line of like professor rj lupin how does she know that and then like hermione's also supposed to be like well he's obviously the defense against the dark arts teacher ronald i like (laughs) so good um but also so when the dementor comes it like stands in the door of the compartment or not stands i guess floats but it's just like chilling there for like a really long time and i think it's both like supposed to be like because it's the reveal of the dementor so they want to give us like a good look at it but it just like sits there for a hot sec before like doing anything (laughs) and it was kind of funny and then also in the book lupin like talks to the dementor before using the patronus charm oh my god i hate him in this scene (laughs) like in the book he's like we don't have like he's not here we don't have what you're looking for or something but in the movie he's just like in the movie he's like still sleeping and then he just like stands up and non-verbals of Patronus. Yeah, like, that's what? what I said, too. I was like, how skilled of a wizard do you have to be to do a Patronus charm non-verbally? He's, like, fully straight-faced, too. It's... Uh, I hate it. It's so yeah. bad. There's I also don't think a you scene... can do that. Yeah. There's also a scene where Draco comes into the compartment and is, like... Is this where he hints to Harry about Sirius, or is that later? Because Draco does, he does also... it in potions. Oh, okay. So maybe he's he just making fun of how it. poor Ron is here. I think, he, yeah, I think that's the case. Um, <laughs> just one more thing about the train, though, is like there's a after the Dementor attack, there's a reflection of Harry like looking into the train window, and it it's like there for a second, but it's so funny because Harry looks so like upset and disturbed, and it's just like a really weird thing to zoom in on. <laughs> So we get to Hogwarts and they skip. Um, Harry and Hermione are supposed to like go be taken by Professor McGonagall, and Harry gets like checked on by Madame Pomfrey, and Hermione has her little meeting with McGonagall about the time turner. So then we skip that. Yeah. Um, and go straight to the feast. The frog well, choir. Well, first we have the like, frog choir, which what I really like. like. <laughs> Do you know why this got added? I like. I, no I think idea. it's funny, but I just am so confused by it. Yeah, like I don't know if that was supposed to be. 
because like we never got the Hogwarts school song but that was supposed yeah. to that was filmed for Goblet I think it was Goblet so there is a deleted scene of that yeah I don't like maybe it was because like the hat is also supposed to sing a song every year so like I don't know if that was kind of I don't know but I think it's really cool I really like it um I think it's like a <laughs> it's fun so addition because it also comes back in Order of the Phoenix because we see Flitwick directing like the choir and Umbridge mm-hmm. like measures him I don't know I think it's a fun little like nod to kind of like real school life at Hogwarts that we very rarely get in the movies especially yeah i agree but yeah no i really like it i think it's kind of weird that they sing like not an original song though it's weird that they sing a yeah. song from like Macbeth. Um, yeah it doesn't make sense but i think it's kind of cool looking and sounding and then i have a note for a new dumbledore but we already talked about them um so the slytherin table moves it, yeah it's in the first two movies it was opposite from the gryffindor table and now it's next to the which gryffindor table. in my head it's always opposite yeah. and so like it's right next to it i think just so that they could work in malfoy taunting harry and they didn't yeah. do that because i think in the in the book it happens like when they get off the train or like when they're in the entrance hall or something or maybe when they're walking in. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, weird. I didn't like that. Yeah, also the quote, happiness can found even in the can be found even in the darkest of times yeah. if one only remembers your current light. Or whatever. Like a very famous Harry Potter Just, quote. Just, yeah. Not in the books, only in the movie. I had, like, never really processed that, and then when I was watching it and I yeah. heard it, I was like, I did not just read that, and so I had to, like, go back and look it up, but it's only in the movie um which is kind of weird the other Mm -hmm. like another big kind of like stylistic thing with this movie is that this is the first time we get the house robes with the colored hoods whereas like in the first two they had house robes but it was just like the crest the gryffindor crest um and now they have like the the red hood the green hood and stuff and that's like kind of what we see throughout the rest of the series i will say with the colored hoods the um, the blue and green for Slytherin and Ravenclaw don't really look that mm. different. Because um, it's They so do dark. look pretty similar. Yeah, because both yeah. of them are darker colors and they're, like, next to the black. So, like, it makes it kind of even darker. Because, um, like, when I was watching, like, when Malfoy and the other mm. Slytherins, like, pop up their hoods, I was like, wait, is one of those a Ravenclaw? Because it looked kind of blue. Yeah. So, I don't know how much I love them the different robes but. yeah i just like it's so ingrained in me that that's what the robes are from the later movies that i like yeah. forget that there was a change at one point and then we get the fat lady doing the amazing just with my voice new fat lady yeah um, yeah and she's new new fat lady yep. and here's one i pointed out that they didn't talk about percy being head boy because like they all just kind of know that the password was Fortuna Major and, like, no one told them. Yeah. They do, like, later when the portrait... Yeah. Like, when they can't get the portrait open, you do hear Percy say, like, I'm yeah. head boy. That's, like, Percy's um, one one time. But, yeah. Yeah, he also has a lot of lines off screen in that scene. And then, like, we don't see him till the very end when mm-hmm. Dumbledore shows up. But, like, you hear him talk for, like, 30 seconds before. It's kind of weird. 
it makes me think that Chris Reagan wasn't actually there and they just like filmed yeah. it all post. But anyways, um, the oh, next the scene. The Gryffindor boys hanging out. I it's so love cute. this scene so much. Okay, well, first of all, before we get up to the dormitory, so like Harry and Dean walk in together and they're like, she can't even sing. Exactly. And they're just like so cute. Um yeah i don't know and then like or no seamus and harry are talking and dean walks through a ghost but this scene where they're all taking the candy and like it's their first night all back together and they're just like i assume they're like catching up from the summer and want to spend time together and like miss each other and they take the candies that make them make like animal noises I love that scene so much. I think it's so cute. And, like, they have, like, uh, Seamus has, the, like, his tie wrapped around his head yeah. or something. Uh, I just love it so much. It's adorable because it's, like, this moment of innocence. Yeah. My next note is subtle ticking of the time turner. And I don't remember what that was in reference to, but I assume, like, in a scene Tuck- transition, you can hear, like, a tick. Talk, you wrote tucking. Tuck. Well, I meant ticking. Oh, I know but I, I thought you meant ticking, like tucking like, it into ticking. her shirt. Oh no, you're right. Yeah. It is tucking because we see Hermione show up and she like is fiddling yeah. with her collar. Um, I thought that was a typo on my part, but it I actually did. Yeah, I'll just say it now because it came up. But I think I have a note later of like how funny to me the bit of ron always being like where did you come from i think it's hilarious and it like kind of happens in the book like maybe once but it happens like three times in the movie and he's always so astonished and like i this time i like actually noticed that like hermione wasn't in a shot and then she was in the next shot and it's like because there's one time in the defense against the dark arts lesson that snape is teaching like where Harry so is he's sitting by himself sitting at and Ron's by like himself. sitting at the table next to him with that other boy who's like random yeah. um and <laughs> I was like because I remember being like why is Harry sitting alone and then Hermione's there and I was like oh my god like I, I feel like I've never really picked up on yeah. that before and I think it's so funny it's yeah it's also extra funny because like Harry has no reaction yeah. to when these things happen Ron is like did you just <laughs> see that and Harry's like eh it's just really funny ron in general in this movie is like pretty humorous um yeah but then my next note is who is this yeah so this is in divination like why not just give those lines to dean or seamus or like somebody that we already know like i don't understand so the person for our listeners sorry i didn't um, explain there's this kid that reads the thing about the grim in divination class and then later he says the weird thing about how like trying to catch black is like trying to catch smoke with your bare hands which is like a really creepy line (laughs) and this kid is like he like has more lines than dean probably just as many lines as seamus like none of like Parvati's in this movie but she doesn't have any lines Lavender's not even in this movie like why not just have a named character um but they like use this kid a lot and there's also like I noticed like this kid you notice because he talks but like in divination there's like a bajillion Gryffindor kids and then in care of magical creatures and defense against the dark arts there's a ton of gryffindors and a ton of slytherins and it's just like 
what like who are these people where did they come from like we did not need all of those extras like i i just don't understand why you couldn't have given those lines to somebody we already know and is like a real character in this series because you're already not using dean and seamus like if you want to make it a gryffindor boy just make it dean or seamus or even neville neville isn't like huge in this movie either like maybe neville wouldn't fit the role as much but dean like answers questions in the books quite a bit and is like pretty vocal in class i don't think he has a uh, he stands up to say a line in this in this movie he might say something. You know, he just walks through the ghost. And he might say something in the scene where they're all hanging out. But I don't think yeah. he has a line. Like, an actual line. It's just so frustrating. Because they also do this with the Slytherin, Slytherin kid. kid because then, like, there's a random Slytherin kid. Because either Crab or Goyle, like, I can't keep them straight, like, by sight. So, Crab and Goyle, those actors, I'm 90% sure I saw both of them in this movie. So it's not oh. like the Goyle actor was not were... in this movie. But then they also just have this random kid. Like when they go to Hogsmeade, it's yeah. Crab and this random kid. It makes no sense. So I'm just confused. Yeah. Um, but anyway, anyways, yeah. the divination. Back to divination. How, does, how the fuck does Ron see well, a cross and a sun in that? Like, I understand that's not what he's supposed to yeah. see in the book. But in the movie, he's looking at that cup and goes, I see a cross and a sun, so you're going to suffer and be happy about it. And then you see the cup, and it's very yeah. clearly a wolf or a dog. I think it's so they just, funny. So they take Ron, Ron, they give Ron Harry's line. So Harry is supposed to be, um, yeah. like, saying the thing about suffering and being happy about it. But instead, they just, like, make it all Ron's lines. Um, yeah, like, Ron sees, like, a bird yeah. or something in Harry's and something else that, like, he's going to have good fortune or something yeah. coming up. And then, give me the cup. <laughs> um, uh. And then I have the next scene is care of magical creatures. Yeah, so I right? just have before this. I wish they like showed because in the book they're supposed to go to divination next, and McGonagall like talks to them, and Harry feels so much better because he hears that Trelawney predicts someone's death every year. Um, so I wish they showed that just because yeah. I feel like it gives some context for divination. Oh, also, I was just so I lit. I just wanted to bring this up because it was interesting to me. So they're sitting in the Great Hall and Ron and Harry are talking about how divination is their first class of the day. And Ron is like, it's it's in the mm-hmm. North Tower. Like, we need 10 minutes to get there. I'm like, 10 minutes does not seem like a very long time. Because then they talk about how they climb, like, hundreds of stairs, basically, to get there. And it's just like, it makes, it, makes me feel like the castle isn't as big as it as it is portrayed in the movies it's like 10 minutes to get to like possibly the farthest place in the castle isn't but like 10 minutes within a building is really big but 10 minutes before class starts yeah but you know that harry and ron aren't trying to get there on time like early i guess but still, like, climbing, st- I don't know, that just, it put into perspective, I guess, like, how big the castle is yeah. in canon a little bit. Because we generally don't get much information about that. But we did here. Ten minutes. Um, they also don't know where they're going either. So, like, why not give you give yourself some time to, like, figure out where the fuck you're going, guys? 
So then we have care of magical creatures class. Anyways. And. Oh, wait, sorry. One more thing. Sir Cadogan yes, is supposed yeah. to be introduced yeah. here. Um, yeah, they cut all of that out. Which, which he's not. Because they don't have him later when yeah. the fat lady, like, runs away. They just bring her back. Um, yeah. yeah. So, care of magical creatures. Tom Felton's hair is terrible in this movie. His haircut is so bad. <laughs> it looks like TikTok boys do now with, like, the floppy hair. and the, You know what I'm talking about? Like, no, e-boys? I don't really like. watch TikToks, but I don't like it, so. Um... Yeah, I just got a TikTok, so catch me on TikTok. Actually, I have not posted a TikTok, and I won't, but anyways. Oh, there's also, so there's a side of TikTok that is called Draco Talk, and it's just, like, basically girls, like, thirsting after Draco, and Tom Felton has, like, found some of these videos, and is like, (laughs) it's so funny. It's really funny, but I saw an article, and it was, like, talking about how people like there's a harry potter side of tiktok and people are making videos of like placing themselves into mm-hmm. like scenes and stuff like with tom felton and cedric diggory specifically because they're like hot men and women want to get on that but there was one line of this buzzfeed article was like because tom felton is also because like draco was also like a sweet cinnamon roll like an attractive like looking sweet cinnamon roll i'm like bitch did you read this series because jerico malfoy is not a cinnamon roll Draco's i'm sorry also can i just say that like in this movie specifically and kind of throughout the series i have a hot take in that i don't think draco slash tom felton is attractive i don't think he is either like i don't think he's bad looking but I don't think he's very attractive. Like, if anything, I think he's most attractive in six. I don't, but I wouldn't even call him attractive then. I mean, no, I don't think so either. I, I just have never found him attractive, and I think it's funny that, like, people thinking he's attractive played into the whole, like, people loving Draco thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. I Like I said, I don't think he's bad-looking generally ever, and he was, like, a super adorable kid. I think he looks kid. terrible in this movie. But yeah, I have my next note is fight, fight, fight. Yeah, so um, fight. I really like. Uh, speaking of Draco, I really like his um ring that they have him like his mm. Slytherin ring that he's wearing. I think it really adds to like his bad boy aesthetic. Yeah. Um, I'm a big um, fan. Couple things as far as accuracy or well, so then another Draco thing while we're on the topic is that he's eating that apple so weird i know i have the first the first appearance of travel but then a couple things for accuracy there's supposed to be like a whole bunch of hippogriffs um and then like buckbeak is supposed to just fly around the paddock and harry hates it and then malfoy's supposed to be like working with buckbeak while everyone else is like working with other hippogriffs and he's supposed to like gain buckbeak's respect and then be like petting him and insult him so minor things i guess but um it would have been cool to see like all the different hippogriffs yeah um i really like that so haggard's like who's gonna be up to do this and like everybody takes a step back and then you can see neville he literally like ducks behind the rock too it's really funny (laughs) it's really funny everyone steps back besides harry ron and hermione and then harry like volunteers yeah because he feels bad yeah i also um 
we we like miss a super sweet moment too like when Hagrid gets to tell Harry, Ron, and Hermione yeah. that he's, like, a professor. And, like, they all clap. Like, when it's announced in the Great Hall, like, everybody claps. And Harry, Ron, and Hermione clap so much yeah. longer. And, like, Harry mentions that when he looks over at Hagrid, he has tears in his eye. Yeah. And, like... Um, they do have a cute moment, um, though, when Harry, yeah. like... In the movie, when Draco's, like, storming up to Buckbeak and gonna get put in his place... Um, it's right after Harry gets off and Hagrid's like, oh, how was it? And Harry's like, it was wonderful. Like, professor. And it's so cute. Yeah. Um, I also just really kind of like in general the disheveledness of these teenagers. Like how, like the shirt, like they don't have their, like Hermione just has like her button up kind of on and like doesn't have the tie on and the ties aren't on, like yeah. aren't on tight. Because I feel like that's what teenagers yeah. would look like when they're outside with a teacher that maybe isn't yeah, as strict sure. um Hermione grabbing Ron's arm <laughs> so funny. I feel like this movie in general does a lot for like the Ron and Hermione shippers I yeah. feel like there's lots of like little stuff like that because she grabs his arm and then grabs his hand and then later like the famous three-wheel hug yeah of like Ron and Hermione and then Harry grabbing on just like in general I think this says a lot to the Ron and Hermione shippers which is really funny because in the book they're like fighting for a lot of it like most of this book I will also say um the her grabbing his hand is one of the you know the tweet that's like Dean being there for all of the Hermione moments um Dean is actually in the background of this (laughs) one so it's like one of the first ones and then like that tweet that and it like someone photoshopped Dean into the background of like every time from my yeah. hair. <laughs> Love that tweet. Yeah. Um, so I I just mentioned this earlier, so I wanted to bring it up again. Like Harry riding Buckbeak, it looks really bad when Buckbeak is like cantering, yeah. like running to take off. It looks terrible when Harry's actually on Buckbeak because they don't show all of Buckbeak a lot of times when you can see Harry like you can just see Harry and like he's on a feathered object it doesn't look the worst um but him taking off is like really bad like the body like his body is just not moving naturally um it kind of looks like when the troll is like swinging him around in Sorcery Stone I do really like I think that the scene is like kind of beautiful with like the the um scenery and everything and i think that this is like one of many shots of like the grounds and everything that's um just really like pretty shots in this movie yeah um i know that i think we talked about this in the first two ones actually but this one does a lot to expand the grounds like hagrid's hut is much farther away from the castle and i think this i guess the quidditch pitch was all always like shown as looking pretty far away but this is the first one where they like expand the ground like Hagrid being so much farther away from the castle but in general sorry Buckbeak I think looks pretty good like Buckbeak alone okay so then after Care of Magical Creatures we have Snape oh they skip Snape's potions potions lesson Mm -hmm. which like this is a really big scene and this is like one of my gripes about things that got cut out um like, they cut out a lot of Snape being absolutely horrible. Because um, he is, like, really, really... I mean, I never like him, but he is, like, really bad in this 
book and they cut most of that out so one of the big ones is like his potions lesson when he bullies neville and then tells and then like makes trevor drink neville's potion um and he ends up taking away points because hermione helped and then immediately after that but when they go to defense against the dark arts for the first time snape like says because they go to the bogart is in the staff room snape says like Professor Lupin, I think you should know that, like, Neville Longbottom is in this class and he's dumb. Like, he's the worst student in the school. And it's, like, just him bullying Neville a ton and it's right before the Boggart lesson. So it really, it sets up a nice juxtaposition with how Lupin treats Neville and how Snape treats Neville. And it also, like, makes you understand more why Snape is Neville's Boggart. Yeah, I think that in general, Snape and Draco, like in this movie, and then I think pretty much in the rest of the movies, their like real bully moments are cut out because like I really noticed it and what I've listened to of this book is Draco is just so mean to Ron incessantly about his family being so poor. And especially with this one because they won mm. that money in the Daily Profit. Like he makes fun about makes fun of them about that. And then with the shrieking Jack, yeah. like oh, this is probably the biggest house you've ever seen or something like that. And they cut out, like, almost all of those moments in the books. And Ron, like, you, there are moments in the book where he's like, I can't handle this anymore. Like, I'm going to, like, fight him mm-hmm. the next time he says something about it. And I think they just cut out so much of that in the movie. And that is adds a lot to, like, the romanticizing, especially of Draco, but kind of also the forgiving of, Snake of Snake. as, like, this yeah. hero. Yeah, um, cause like in the movies they don't really come off as like that mm-hmm. bad. They're just kind of like mean sometimes, but like in the books they're legitimately yeah. awful. People in our Facebook group will know because I went off about Snape in our Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the next scene that happens in the movie, I think, is, like, a transition scene in, like, the Great Hall, maybe? Are you skipping the Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson? So I have a note before the Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson about something, or maybe it is just a transition scene where we see, like, ghosts come in through the window Mm. and it looks like the window's shattering. There's just, like, a scene of ghosts out in the entrance hall. So this just reminded me... So I get why they didn't want to have peeves. I guess I kind of get why when they didn't want to have peeves in the first one because, like, they didn't think that they could do a good job. But, like, by this time, the CGI has already gotten so much better. Like, why did they not just add Mm -hmm. peeves in later? Just kind of, like, as a character later on that has, like, oh, he's always been here. And kind of just give him, like, a scene in every movie. Like, I guess I just don't understand why they didn't just add him later on. I don't know. It's dumb. But this, because they're like, there are quite a few ghost scenes because they have like this scene where Dean walks through the ghost in the beginning. And then there's this scene as well. So yeah. like they're unnecessary ghost scenes. So why not just make a peeve scene? But anyways. So yeah, then we have the Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson. Um, and this is when Malfoy has the classic, this class is ridiculous line. Okay. Side note about this in the book, it's just is the it Gryffindors. just Gryffindor yeah. in the Defense yeah. Against the Dark? Has it always been just the Gryffindors in Defense Against the Dark Arts, or do they normally pair them up? Because normally they're paired with another class or another house. Well, so we don't we don't see it in the first book. Yeah, 
you like never really see a quarrel lesson um i know that we see a lockhart lesson i don't think that they mention any other houses but that doesn't mean they aren't there but yeah well because it's just weird because every other class like we know they have potions with the slytherins they have care care of magical creatures with the slytherins they have herbology with the hufflepuffs yeah it doesn't make any sense like i I just don't understand it just doesn't make sense um so yeah i think in the book it's just gryffindors because like after they do the bogart they do it kind of differently where they're like all standing like in a like circle and lupin like calls on people to jump forward and the only people that he didn't like have jump forward were harry and hermione but he like gives points to everyone he's like 50 points to gryffindor or whatever um for like it's like five for each because like harry and hermione also like answered questions correctly Mm -hmm. in the movie though i know it's different but i like it's and it's like too short they only do a few people but i love this scene i think the music is really fun um and it's just like kind of like everybody's like kind of so happy and it's like it's such a good lesson and i really really love this scene um i have one very specific nitpick with this so we see neville go and then he dresses Snape up in his grandmother's outfit, and everybody's laughing, and Lupin is like, awesome, Pavardi, you're up next, where we clearly see that Seamus was next in line, and we see him move forward, and then we cut around, and then Pavardi is suddenly in, like, in like first in line and like lupin even says pavardi like why did they not just have that actress standing behind neville i'm so confused but sorry and yeah so in the book like lupin doesn't even let it get to harry because he thinks that it's going to be voldemort um but in the movie it's really weird because like Harry does step forward and it turns into a Dementor and then Lupin steps in front and then later he's like oh like I thought it was going to be Voldemort that's why I stepped in front but he steps in front after he sees it was a Dementor it just it doesn't make any sense yeah also I feel like in the book it's like less clearly a moon because it's just like they they're like oh is it a crystal ball is it like a floating orb yeah they just like say an orb but like in the movie it's like there are clouds in front of it like it's a moon yeah um i just have a note here that like i think lupin was being just like a little bit petty but like maybe justifiably petty by like making snape kind of the laughing stock of this Mm. lesson because i think he like he maybe he didn't know for sure that neville was it was going to turn into snape but like i think he probably had a guess and then like making neville turn like put his grandmother's clothes on snape is maybe a little bit of like getting back at him and like i'm not saying that snape doesn't deserve it and that wasn't funny and that like it wasn't okay what he did but i just do think it was like a little bit like self-serving I also do think, like, it's fair to mention that in the book, like, Neville's relationship with Snape progressively gets worse because of this incident, because the whole school hears about it, so that also doesn't make Lupin come off looking that great if he, like, kind of did do it in, like, a petty, self-serving way, like, it makes it worse Mm -hmm. for Neville in the long run. Like, it might have given Neville some, like, confidence, but also, like, Snape hates him more after this. 
Yeah, I see your point. But I also think that, like, I can I can also see the side where, like, Lupin's motive was, like, Snape literally just disparaged this kid, like, to him in front of the whole class. And I think, like, he was, he, like, purposely chose Neville, like, to give him a confidence boost. And, like, I think he was just going to do anything he could to, like, make sure Neville had a good class. Um. Yeah, I guess, like, my issue comes mainly from, like, how he made... Like, I guess it's it's a very minor issue. Issue might not be really the right word. But, like, how ne- how Lupin, like, specifically chose to, like, basically humiliate mm. Snape, I do think comes off as a little bit self-serving just because we know their yeah. relationship. Yeah, I think, um, yeah. Like, I feel like he could have gone about it in a different way. Yeah, I totally see that. Like, making yeah. it funny. Um, but, yeah, I do have a note that it doesn't go on for very long. I also have a note that I wonder what Draco would see. Mm. I have no idea. I can't even guess. I don't either. I feel like later it would be Lord Voldemort, but I don't know if it would be that now. Yeah. Yeah. The next scene is, like, they, them going off to Hogsmeade, and they never mention that this is Halloween, but I think this is supposed to be Halloween. Um... And, like, everyone goes off to Hogsmeade. Harry asks McGonagall if he can, she can sign it for him. She's like, no, I can't. And then Harry ends up, like, having a combo with Lupin. And this is supposed to happen, like, in his office. And this is when Snape's supposed to bring the Wolfsbane. Wolfsbane and, like, it's another, like, ooh, what's really going on there? Um, but the conversation in the movie is, like, a lot more about Lily and James than it is in the book. And they really, really play up the Lupin and Lily relationship. Like, the whole, like, first part of Lupin's, like, talking is about Lily and how great Lily is and everything. And it's like, oh, like, I never, like, this doesn't happen in the book at all. Yeah, like, I don't have a problem with them, like, playing up a Lupin-Lily relationship. But, like, it's weird that there's no payoff for it. Like, he's just like, your mother helped me through a very hard time. And, like, I guess maybe the payoff is supposed to be, like, we know that his hard time was him being a werewolf. But, like, James also really helped yeah. him out. And, like, I wonder even how, like, soon Lily found that out. Yeah. Because, like, she wasn't a part of the Marauders. Um, like, it just seems like a weird scene because there just is really no payoff for it. Like, we never learn the specifics about what he's alluding to. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do think that I do like how much movie Lupin talks to Harry about his parents, and I, like, wish he did this more in the books, but I think, like, that's getting more into Lupin's character in the book of, like, feeling reserved in some ways towards Harry and, like, not feeling like he can talk about these things, Um, which, like, that's a different conversation. But I think it is kind of sweet to, like, have Harry, to, like, get to see Harry hear about his parents. Yeah, I also have a note here that this is when the bridge becomes a main character in this series from this point on this bridge um it's just like in so many scenes after this like i get that it's like an interesting like backdrop like it's dynamic i guess to look at but it's just so funny because this is the first we see of it and then we literally like big moments happen on this bridge yeah um so then this is the night that Sirius breaks in um, and it's or tries to break in the first time. It's supposed to be the night of Halloween and they never really like say in the movie if it is. Um, 
And so they only have this break-in for Sirius, and they don't have the second one later. So this is another thing that gets condensed. But in the book, like, he's supposed to try and break in and not be able to get through the portrait um, this night and, like, make the fat lady flee. And then later on, like, in the spring, I think, he breaks in and, like, uses Neville's passwords from Sir Cadogan and, like, actually gets in and, like, like pulls back Ron's curtains on his bed. Um, so they kind of, like, write all of that out and they just have this break in. Yeah, I just, I don't understand why Sirius slashed the painting. Like, he knows that that won't do anything. I guess, like, maybe it was out of frustration. Yeah. But also, I don't know, like, being a Gryffindor, I feel like there is some point of, like, maybe pride is the wrong word, but, like, the fat lady is a big part of being a Gryffindor and, like, that portrait. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't know if he really would have slashed it. I don't know. Yeah. Because, like, we always hear, like, Molly talks about the fat lady when she comes back yeah. in Goblet of Fire and is like, oh, I remember her, you know, like, fondly. So it just seems, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So, um, and then the, like, scene in the Great Hall where they all spend the night camping, um, sleeping under the stars. Percy is supposed to be there for this convo with Snape and Dumbledore, but, like... It's fine without him there. Yeah. I also have a note to, like, Dumbledore's, like, we must lock the school down. And then it cuts to, like, the door closing and locking. And I'm, like, why doesn't that do that every night? Like, I feel like you should lock the school just on a regular basis. I don't know. Like, you lock your house every yeah. night before you go to bed. Yeah. It just, I feel like that should be a normal occurrence that happens. Yes. Yeah. So then I think the next scene is Snape teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts. Yes, well, we first have one of those tree interludes to show us the passing of time. They're so pretty. I like them. I mean, I don't have a problem with them, but, like, if they were in the movie... I think they're cute. Um, so one big issue I have with the defense against the dark arts lesson that's like different from the books is that in the books like everyone kind of like gets mad when snape calls hermione insufferable know-it-all and in the movie like it's no so one reacts and it's kind of sad like in the book like i feel like this is like really a really good scene for the gryffindor kids because like dean and everybody's like standing up for lupin and then like when Snape's really yeah. mean to Hermione, like, people get pissed, and they're all like, we always call Hermione a know-it-all, but, like, you can't, like. Yeah, it's, there's, like, a line where Harry's, like, everybody in this class has called Hermione yeah. a know-it-all before, but everybody is up in arms because Snape called her one. I think it's just, it's like, kind cute. of cute. Yeah, so I wish they had that. And then, like, Ron Dick gets detention yeah. for her. yeah. I just have, like, Harry, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, you already know that Snape hates you. Why are you asking him these stupid-ass questions? Like, you know he's just going to tear you to shreds. Like, he's literally like, where's Professor Lupin? And it's like, Harry, obviously Snape isn't going to tell you anything. Like, why would you even ask that? And then he, like, asks him another stupid question. He's like, question but we have Quidditch that, like, tomorrow. He know yeah, he's like, but per, but sir, we've Quidditch this weekend. I'm like, do you really think that Snape gives a fuck that you have Quidditch? Like, you are asking him these questions just to be like, 
torn to shreds like it's so hairy uh so then speaking of quidditch they don't explain like why gryffindor plays hufflepuff first this is so stupid why is a player being injured a valid excuse not to play like players get injured that is part of the game like it's so that is something that happens and you have to adapt like both sides have to adapt to a player being out it's just malfoy being a little like who gave who gave them permission to do this like i guess that like snape would be the logical conclusion but why does snape have the power to do that it should be like a vote by the heads of houses yeah like majority can this be like it just i don't understand who had the authority and why they had the authority to do that it doesn't make any sense also side note about this we had a discussion about this and maybe the percy episode we talked about how charlie maybe was the only like or bill was the only head or prefect and quidditch captain or like that wasn't a thing that you could do at the same time yeah we talked about how like could somebody be a prefect and a quidditch captain but i don't think cedric was was quidditch captain yeah that's what i said i like i couldn't remember the context of it but we were talking about like are were we sure and we're like well we know he was a prefect but we weren't sure Um, that he was captain of the quidditch team but he was can confirm yeah also they just speaking of quidditch captains they fully write oliver wood out of this movie and he's like a big deal in the book like it's like kind of constant in the book like well quidditch is a bigger deal in this book yeah so that's the other thing is like this is the only quidditch match we see but in the book you see three um and like they win the cup and yeah and like it's a whole like it's a very big plot point and like driving plot point through like the spring of the year so like i don't know it's kind of i love the quidditch scenes so it's disappointing yeah there's also like there's the whole plot point with Quidditch that this is like Oliver's last yeah. chance to win the Quidditch Cup, so he's like real desperate. So he's like, guys, come on, and he's like, uh, it, it is really cute. So also in the Quidditch match, um, Harry's like, I think Harry's supposed to, I think it's this one where he's supposed to actually see Sirius as Padfoot in the stands and not like they have him see the Grim in the clouds, which is really weird. Um, and then. <laughs> it was just funny, like Dumbledore doing arresto momentum with his hand. Arresto he like just points. Momentum. He just points. It's like I don't think, like you can nonverbal, but I don't think you could do that. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. They also um, make Hufflepuff look silly because the seeker gets like electrocuted and then also falls out yeah. of the sky like Harry did, but nobody cares about the yeah. Hufflepuff seeker, I guess. Yeah. Like, okay. Uh, it's also like not Cedric or not Robert Penn. Yeah. Okay, and then the next scene is just like Harry and Lupin going for a walk in the woods. I don't have any notes yeah, about this scene. I don't think I watched this scene or listened to the words. <laughs> it's just, like, establishing, like, Lupin's like, I'm sorry about your broom. And Harry's like, I need you to teach me how to get rid of the Dementors. And I think they talk mm-hmm. about, maybe that's when they talk about hearing his mom's voice. But maybe that was earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have Hogsmeade, which is, like, yeah. they really just mesh the two book Hogsmeade vi- visits and it's really annoying. Yeah. Like, this really bothers me. Yeah. 
So can I just go through what it is in the book to like establish for people listening? So in the book, the first time Harry goes to Hogsmeade, he doesn't have the cloak. He just hides under the table when McGonagall and Flitwick and Hagrid and Fudge come in and they're like talking about Sirius. Like that's not in some weird upstairs room. Um, And then the second time is when he wears the cloak and Hermione isn't with them because they're fighting. And he throws the mud at Draco and Draco sees his head and like everything happens after that. So they really just like conflate the two and I don't know why it bothers me so much, but it really bothers me. Well, they also, I don't think it's even super clear. Like, cause so we know that Hermione and Ron go to Hogsmeade one time Mm -hmm. without Harry in the movies, but it's never like brought up again. Whereas like, they talk about it, yeah. I feel like, around Harry quite a bit. And Harry gets, like, super jealous. And, like, that's why he's extra motivated yeah. to go the second time. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I have... We love a good Fred and George scene because it's the only one we get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's the one where they Harry wakes up in the hospital wing. And then yeah. there's this one. This one. Yeah, they're... Also, just, like, side note about James and Oliver Phelps' hair in this movie. It is, like, weirdly blonde yeah. and not red. Yeah. Um, but anyways. Um, Where they are, what they're doing, every minute of every day. Brilliant. I love how they, like, bounce off each other. Yeah. And then in Hogsmeade. I really like that they catch him. Like, how, yeah. like that they catch him. I love that. I think it's it really cute. cute. Um, in Hogsmeade... They there are no underage wizards allowed in the three broomsticks. I what? ranted about this while I was watching this movie, so I watched it with my two like the two other interns that I'm working with, and like they're they've seen all of the movies, but I spent a lot of this like they would ask me questions and I would answer mm. and explain things, and this was when I'm like, this is a terrible business model. Like, why would you not allow Hogwarts students? The one time that they are in Hogsmeade, yeah. like you're cutting off so much money and like so many potential customers. It's so stupid. Yeah, it really is. Also, I said Dan's acting is so bad when he finds out about Sirius. <laughs> he was that friend. Yeah. And he betrayed them. He was that friend. Um, I love it. They skip the they skip Christmas. They skip the firebolt. The trio's fight. All of that totally cut out. Um, and like the trio helping prepare for Buckbeak's trial totally cut out. Yeah, they just like cut to the trial being over. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm moving I just, quicker. This but... is. Go ahead. Yeah. Um with the lollipop so i know that we oh, talked yeah. about this in the neville episode. i think it's the hogsmeade episode hogs oh hogsmeade episode so like there's like harry steals neville's lollipop it actually gets stuck to the outside of the invisibility cloak so there's that and then the random slytherin makes an appearance yeah. um so then Patronus lessons? Do they ever explain... Sorry, just one more thing. I know that we want to move quicker. But do they ever explain, like, the importance of the secret keeper and, like, no. how and why they knew that somebody betrayed the Potters? No, they don't. I, I mentioned this okay. later when we're in the Shrieking Shack, but they don't. Okay. Great. <laughs> They're that. just like, he's one of the only people who knew where the, he they were. It's like, that's not... Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. I couldn't quite remember. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, then, like, the Patronus lessons, I feel like, is the next big thing. Um, Harry yeah. gets it perfectly on, like, the third try, which is cool. That might happen in the book, too. Um, I feel like it takes a little bit. Just in general, I never really understood why a Patronus charm works on a bug art. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I don't think it does in the book. Well, like, I think it just, like, but then, like, why does there even need to be a Dementor there? Because they like, practice without the Dementor there in five, so. Yeah. I think it's just, like, for realistic sake, like, for Harry to have something to, like, do it against. I get the, like, using yeah. it as a teaching tool, but in the movie it works in, like, putting the bogger back, which, like, it shouldn't. In the book, I think Lupin, like, jumps back in front and does ridiculous again. Yeah, I think, like, it's just supposed to be, like, a force. Like, I think the bogger, I think, is supposed to react to it. Mm. Because I think it works in the maze. Because, so in 4, Harry comes across a bogger and it turns into a Dementor. And he uses Patronus because he thinks it's Dementor. And then he finds out that it's a bug art. So, like, it still, like, knocks it over and stumbles. And that's how he knows that it's a bug art. So, I think it's supposed to just be kind of like a force field, Mm -hmm. kind of, Mm -hmm. like, hitting an object. But I don't know. It's still just, like, kind of confusing to me. Yeah. Um, My next note is that they really downplay the whole Crookshanks killing Scabbers thing. Yeah. And, like, without the firebolt thing and without this, they never have a fight. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. Because that's, like, really supposed to be in this a lot. <laughs> yeah, like, Crookshanks is a pretty big part of this, as well as Scabbers. Like, there's a part where Ron is like, don't bring Crookshanks up here. I have Scabbers in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And then Crookshanks goes after his pocket, and Ron is like, that cat heard me. Mm-hmm. It knew that Scabbers was in my pocket. And, like, that's supposed to be a hint because like crookshanks does know and is attacking him because he knows that he's bad so then we see hagrid skipping rocks oh yeah right is that the Um, next thing yeah i think i just don't have notes on that yeah i mean he just is like buckbeats been put to death like i i know i already said this but they don't show anything leading up to the trial like all of a sudden he's just been put to death and then Harry is, sneaks out at night. Yeah, so Ron has his nightmare. Because he sees Peter Pettigrew. Ron has his nightmare about spiders. <laughs> They're asking me to tap dance. I don't want to tap dance. You tell him, Ron. That's funny. He's like, I'll tell him in the morning. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Harry's not supposed to see Pettigrew on the map. I mean, like, Pettigrew's on the map, but it's supposed to be Lupin who notices it for the first time. And he has... The, they, they, like... This whole, like, interaction with Snape and um, Lupin is supposed to happen after Harry goes to Hogsmeade and Draco sees him. Um, but instead, they have it happen with, like, Harry sneaking out of bed, which I guess is, like, they could do it quicker. Um, but the conversation itself is actually pretty, like, on point between Snape and Lupin. And then one thing I just thought was funny is, like, Harry doesn't even question how Lupin knows it's a map afterwards. Lupin's like, this map? And Harry's like, oh yeah, it's a map. 
Yeah, I really, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when the portrait goes, put that light out, when he yells at, like, are you deaf? Yeah. Um, to Snape, I think it's really funny. But yeah, the, I, like, the interaction is pretty good. Um, th- so on the map, we see that there's a room that's labeled Lost Wands, oh. that I think is really funny. I didn't notice that. Um, I really like that. There's also a Room of Doom. Huh. <laughs> Um, so love that. I don't know what's going on in there, but I just know, like, I tried to pay more attention to some of the other rooms that we, like, see when Harry's looking at the map. Yeah. Um. I wish there was more insults, because there's not just, like, the one in the book. There's, like, multiple Snape insults. Yes. Yeah, there are a bunch. Um, and then the next thing I think is, like, Hermione storming out of divination. Which is, like, pretty subdued in the movie. Um, yeah. I just have, like, Hermione, did you really need to knock that crystal ball off the table? Like, it was a little dramatic and extra. Yeah, but I feel like she just kind of, like, walks out of the room. Whereas, like, in the book, it's more of, like, an outburst. Yeah. Um. And the whole, like, Harry being alone with Trelawney is supposed to happen like during his exam but they just kind of skip over all of the exams they skip over the other two quidditch games like they skip over a lot to get to the end quickly yeah um i did say this out loud when i was watching this like how harry goes back up to take the crystal ball like you could not pay me money to walk back up those stairs after i've already walked down some of them like sorry (laughs) Um, and then, so I just quickly, I have no recollection of, the, like, the part of that scene where Harry sees, like, Sirius Black's face in the crystal Yeah, ball. I didn't remember that either. Like, after he puts it back, I was like, wow, I don't remember this happening happen yet yeah. at all. I really like Trelawney's, like, voice change when she's yeah. giving the prophecy. I really like that. And I really like how Harry's just like, okay, bye, and, like, runs out. Yeah. Then the next thing is, like, the trio's going down to the, to Hagrid's because Buckbeak's going to be executed, and this is when the best thing happens, and Hermione slaps Draco. (laughs) Um, It happens a little differently in the book. It happens, like, earlier in the school year when they first find out that Buckbeak is going to be executed. Um, And in the book, she, like, slaps him first and then pulls out her wand, and that's why he, like, runs because she's got her wand. In the movie, they do it the opposite way. Yeah, I do think like obviously I didn't finish reading the book I already already admitted that to you all but in this movie Hermione is very like aggressive in general like both in like actions like physical aggression and also just like no this is the way things are done like I know what I'm doing like just like very Mm -hmm. like takes charge of a lot of things and I don't like I said, I didn't quite finish reading the book, so I don't know if that is how it is in the book, but it's just, like, very intense on, in, like, in the movie. Yeah. Especially when, like, they go back in time. Because, like, I mean, Hermione knows what she's doing, but she's still, like, very bossy. But in the book, it's not like that. In the book, like, Harry remembers a lot of things when they go back in time. Like, he's the one that remembers that, like, they should save Buckbeak. Like, there's a lot of things that they give to Hermione in the movie that Harry like does in the book or says in the book so it's like less so yeah she's just like she's very much she like takes charge of a lot of things 
in this movie and like not saying that it's a bad thing like I love a boss ass bitch as much as the next girl but like it was pretty intense and then I feel like in Goblet she's not Mm -hmm. and like she never is again Mm -hmm. so just like kind of odd I also want to point out so when they see McNair just for reference it happens at the one hour 23 minute and four second mark in the movie and in the books it happens on page 246 and i will talk about the percentages at the end so they're at hagrid's um they find scabbers hermione's supposed to be the one that finds him but that's not that big of a deal and then like when they leave hagrid's they're not supposed to be on the ground so they're like have their cloak the cloak on and they actually don't like turn around and watch Buckbeak get killed like we I know we don't see Buckbeak get killed but like it's implied that the trio sees it because they're all facing that way and they kind of turn away but like it's implied that they like see Buckbeak get his head chopped off and like that's not what happens because the whole thing point is like they didn't see so they don't know that Buckbeak actually got away yeah I also have a quick note that like it seems exhausting to attend Hogwarts because they're like running they are running so much in this movie it is wild um but anyways then we have awkward third wheel Harry um yeah and then Ron goes into the willow why did the tree not like attack Sirius and Ron I don't know I don't know like why did it not start to fight back till Ron and or till Hermione and Harry were there it's weird it doesn't make any sense but I guess it's just kind of ease um and then the moment where Hermione grabs Harry's shirt (laughs) and Harry like looks down and then looks basically at the camera and is like well it's like one of those moments where it's like you're probably wondering how I got here (laughs) also Hermione like hulking harry into like she's like she's not that strong (laughs) like not only is she not that strong but like how did you fling him at the exact right and then she flings herself in to get him in that yeah like how did that happen because it's very soon after like i get they wanted the trauma but like crookshanks is just supposed to go up it is so extra it is so extra um, um, I really like the reveal of Sirius being behind the door and then, like, they show the pop yeah. prints leading up to him. I think it's kind of funny. It's him. It's him. He's the Grim. Um, yeah, I already talked about, like, Sirius, Sirius, like, not doing himself any favors in this scene because he's, like, running. Like, he basically, like, comes towards Harry to, like, kill him. And then Hermione's like, if you kill him, you'll have to kill us, too. And he's like, sounds good. Well, that's supposed to be Ron who says that. Yeah. Just FYI. And Ron's, like, on a broken leg. He's also supposed up. to, like, st- yeah, stand up on yeah. his broken leg for Harry. Like So cute. <laughs> um, I did my waiting. Twelve years of it. In Azkaban. In Azkaban. I love it. I love it. Um, and then I have, why is everyone shouting in this yeah. scene? Like, literally everyone is shouting. Harry is shouting. Sirius is shouting. Snape is shouting. Lupin is not shouting, well, admittedly. So, before Snape gets there, Lupin is kind of, like, heated. And he's supposed to be, like, way calmer. He's supposed to kind of just, like, walk in. He, like, it, he disarms the, 
the trio, but then he, like, gives them all back their wands. He's like, we're going to explain this to you. Like, look, we don't have wands yeah. right now. You have wands. Like, he, like, calms down Sirius. He calms down the trio. And then, but, like, in the movie, he's still kind of, like, flustered and he doesn't, like. Yeah, he's kind of like, everybody calm down. It'll be fine. Like, I know what to do. I got this under control. But, like, obviously he's, he does not. Yeah, he's still control. the calmest one, but he's not calm. <laughs> Yeah. And then when Snape shows up, the trio is that was supposed to, like, actually attack all of them. Like, all of them attack Snape at the same time. They just disarm him. But since they all disarm him at the same time, he gets knocked out. That's why he, like, flies and back. Yeah. in the movie, Hermione goes, like, you attacked a teacher. But in the book, she's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. We attacked a teacher. We attacked a teacher. And it's so funny. She's, like, freaking out. She's like, ah, why did I do that? But it's cute because they all do it at the same time. Harry, you just attacked a teacher. Yeah, so this is when I said they never explain the whole secret keeper thing or about them all being animaguses, really. They don't, like, give much detail into that. Yeah, do they? They don't ever explain that, like, they created the map either, do they? No, I don't think they did. They're just like, the map never lies. Yeah. Like, um, excuse me, how do you know that? Like, what? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then Peter Pettigrew transition, we already talked about Ugh. that. In the movie, he's... In the movie, he's missing his left ring finger, which I believe we talked about in the Peter episode, that it was his pointer finger. I think finger, it's his right pointer. His index yeah. finger. Yeah. Um, Interesting. But, yeah, so. And then I have a note that, like, Ron is supposed to break his leg, not be just, like, bitten. Yeah, and then in the book, when Lupin starts to transform again, like, Peter jumps on it, like, the opportunity, and he actually, like, attacks Ron with the wand that he manages to get. I don't know whose wand it is, but, like, Ron gets, like, n- either knocked out or, like, really injured from that again. Um, but in the book, they just have, like, Hermione, like, yells to Harry instead of just, like, telling Remus, like, yo, you're gonna transform. Like, Harry's standing over with Sirius, and she's like, Harry! And then, like, points at Remus. It's like, I feel like you could have, like, you didn't need to yell to Harry about this yet. So I have a couple questions about how Wolfsbane works. Okay, it's I don't I don't I don't even want to talk about this. It's so bad in both the movie and the book. And I was gonna bring it up, but I was like, I feel like we need to save this for a werewolf episode. But go ahead. Well, just just super quickly. So it's very convenient that Lupin forgets to take the potion. Just like off the bat, very convenient that. Well, that he hasn't happens. had it yet. I understand. Snape is bringing it to him. Oh, I thought that he just, like, had forgotten no. it. Maybe Sirius just says that. Sirius is like, have you forgotten to take your potion, friend? Yeah, he says and that in the movie. that's why I thought that movie. he had forgotten it. But in the book, Lupin is, like, waiting in his office for Snape to bring it to him. Oh, and that's right. And he sees Pettigrew and then on the map. that's how Snape... Sees the map. Yeah, that's yeah. why Snape comes into Lupin's office. Okay, so, like... Second off, I thought that we had talked about that Wolfsbane is something you have, like don't just take the night of yeah the full moon. I thought you took it like days leading up to it. So do those days just like not do anything? Like are you taking those just for kits and giggles? I think you have to take it every single day in the week leading. But up. so if you miss one, like it's useless. I think so. That was my interpretation, or. It's like he's still transformed, but maybe his transformation wasn't as bad. But like, as Pan, he's still mm. transformed. Um, also, who the fuck does Hermione think she is going up to a werewolf and being like, Professor Lupin? Yeah, that's so dumb. Um, <laughs> no. 
Also, just super quickly, what was the conclusion about turning into an animagus with or without a wand? Because Peter does not have no, a wand. No, he does. In the movie. No, in the movie he doesn't. Does he? He does in the movie and the book. He picks up Lupin's wand, I think, when Lupin starts to transform. And that's why Harry, in, in the movie too, Harry disarms him, but it's too late. He's already like starting to transform. And so oh, in the movie, okay. they See, show the wand flying away. Been disarmed. Yeah. And then he turns. No, it's like they show the wand flying away, and I think he's, like, already starting. I think that's the implication in the, oh, okay. in the book. Um, okay. So I think you do need a wand. Although, that doesn't make sense, because Sirius but didn't have was a wand it? in Wait, Did he not? So I... Yeah, and then did Peter, like, show up with a wand in the Shrieking Chat? Because if you... And if you have to have one to turn into an animal, theoretically, you should have a wand when you turn back into a human, like, in your possession. No? Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a plot hole. Anyways, so does Snape protect the trio in the book? No. <sighs> Here's my thing. Snape is supposed to be unconscious this whole time. They don't just leave him in the Shrieking Shack. They, like, levy corpus him out. And he's supposed to be unconscious. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to be unconscious, like, through the time that... Lupin transforms in everything like he wakes up afterwards Mm. like after Harry and Hermione is actually also supposed to go to the lake and then he like goes and gets Sirius and Harry and Hermione but he's supposed to be unconscious the whole time he does not protect the trio this is like one of the worst movieisms I think because people are like oh my god look at how good of a person Snape is yeah they're like deep down all he did all he wanted to do was to protect harry like no no um also remus and sirius don't really like wrestle um because like werewolves only attack men like humans Mm, um they're just supposed to kind of like run into the forest together and harry follows them and it's not like it's not because Remus doesn't run off because he heard a howl. Like that's all movieism. Yeah, I was gonna say, is the howl yeah. thing in the book at all? No, Harry just follows them, and I think by that time, like Remus has run off further, and like Sirius is getting attacked by the Dementors, and Hermione. Like I said, Hermione okay. goes down to the lake with Harry. So Sirius, we see in the movie, we see like him and Lupin fighting, and we see like Sirius getting thrown against a rock, mm-hmm. and then like turn back into a human and like limp away like where is Sirius going like why is he going the opposite direction of everybody it doesn't make any sense just to pass out next to water like what it's like I'm gonna go towards the Dementors also Snape says something about 13 year old children or somebody does oh Dumbledore does this is later sorry this is getting a little bit ahead ahead. but I forgot something that I wanted to talk about. It's another Snape being terrible. Um, when he, like, shows up in the Shrieking Shack and Hermione's like, maybe we should, like, hear them out. He calls her stupid girl. He's like, mm-hmm. don't talk about things you don't know about, stupid girl. You don't know, yeah. And it's like, it bothers me so much. He's such an asshole. He really is. Anyway, just pointing out all these terrible things about Snape. (laughs) Getting my laundry list ready. Just wait till we get to Goblet of Fire because that's the worst one to me. I I think Prisoner might be the worst, but I don't know if it's just because, like, I just read it. 
you just read it no the like the singular moment in goblet of fire is like the worst moment to me i know i think i think prisoner just has like a lot of really bad moments yeah and i think that like partially i think it it might it might really be worse and i think if it is i think it plays up like his relationship with lupin Mm -hmm. and Sirius and how he's like on edge about that and like being reminded of kind Mm -hmm. of all of that and then being like oh for sure wow i really do hate james so it makes sense that this is the worst yeah so then down by the lake there's like a little they show like a little ball like coming out of Sirius's mouth and i guess that's supposed to be like his soul which i don't know i feel like that's not really how it works and then i have so another big thing i have an issue with is the patronus at the lake so in this like in the first time we see it um like before they go back in time it harry sees across the lake he sees a stag but the stag doesn't like run around to them it just like there's just like it's like a non-corporeal patronus and a corporeal corporeal patronus and then later on when harry casts the patronus himself like when they go back in time you don't even see the stag and it's just like i feel like that's such a big like like that's when everything is supposed to click he's supposed to be like oh my god prongs like my patronus is my dad's animagus and it's like a whole thing and i just don't know why they wouldn't do that because they have the stag they just don't use it and then they don't have it the second time it just bothers me Mm. yeah i mean i don't really have any thing to say about that scene i like honestly think it's kind of boring like i know that it's supposed to not be boring but the dementor scene i find it boring yeah yeah all right um so then harry and hermione are supposed to like wake up in the hospital wing and hear snape and fudge talking about Sirius. this is another instance of snape being terrible because he's like trying to get harry expelled um by talking to fudge about him and then dumbledore like comes down from talking to Sirius, and like at this point dumbledore knows the truth because he just spoke with Sirius. And he, like, makes Snape and Fudge leave. And he tells Harry and Hermione to, like, do... Go back in time. And Ron's supposed to be asleep the whole time. Yeah. In the movie, he refers to them as three 13-year-olds. Excuse me, sir. Two of them are 14 at this moment yeah. in time. Yeah. This is true. Um, and then also, for timestamp update... The go back in time happens at one hour, 47 minutes, 51 seconds. Okay. Just update. (laughs) Um, I already talked about this a little bit when I talked about the Dumbledore. I really like the scene. I love Hermione slapping Harry's hand away. I think it's so funny. Um, Jinx. But yeah. I really like how it's funny that Dumbledore like hits Ron's leg, but again, it's like one of those moments where it's like that doesn't seem very Dumbledore to me. Mm, yeah, you know. Yeah, but I don't hate it because it's a funny scene. But when you think about it, it's like questionable. So yeah, back in time, Harry's like supposed to figure out who the second innocent life is. Um, a couple things they add in the movie, like. Hermione throwing the stone 
that is so impressive yeah. like it is impressive that she got that rock through that window at all but then to hit harry in the back of the head like damn girl i like that addition like i think because in the book they just like look outside but i think that throwing the stone it's kind of fun um yeah and then I love how much Dumbledore delays in the scene where they're trying to get Buckbeak to move. And you can hear him just, like, talking about random shit. Yeah. Like, there's the strawberries. <laughs> and I had the closed captions on, and it was just, like, really funny. They were like, strawberries? I don't see any strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> like, where are we? Camp Half-Blood? Ah, uh, gotcha. Ah, uh. Um, Hermione just showing up with the ferrets around her neck is really funny, too. I literally said that. I, like, turned to my roommate and was like, can you imagine wearing a necklace of dead ferrets around you? She just goes for it. Um, yeah. Also, I'd like a nice cup of tea or a large brandy line. It's pretty iconic. Well, then you can hear Hagrid in the background. There are no small cups in this cut, like in this house or something. So funny. That Uh, was another thing I only heard because, like, I saw the captions. That's good. Yeah. Um. So then, like, when they, so they wait for a while, and then when like everyone comes back out from the Whomping Willow, Harry and Hermione actually go back go back to Hagrid's hut, which is something I always forget. Um, and Harry's like, oh, I better yeah. go keep watch to know when we have to save Sirius. And then he, but like, really, he wants to go and see his dad. So he runs off and Hermione, like, ends up following him. Yeah. Also, in the movie, they show Snape entering, like, like right after the passageway. Lupin. So yeah. soon after Lupin. When, like, in real time, it was probably, like, at least two to three minutes yeah. between Lupin coming in and Snape, but he was like ten seconds behind Lupin yeah. when they show that in the replay, like when they go back in time. Yeah, I had and then the, whole the thing werewolf the transformation. The what transformation? Well, there's like this scene where they're like running away from the werewolf. Oh yeah, before this yeah. dag happens. Um, so just like general note about movies that I realized really bothers me like why is it when two people are running why do they have to hold hands like why do this they always, always grab hands in movies and like Ron or Harry and Hermione do this so often in this movie because yeah. they run around the forest so yeah. much and they're always just holding hands. I'm like, that would significantly slow you down. And, like, I understand that you don't want to get split up. But, like, you're not running with your eyes closed. Like, you can see the other person. Yeah. I have faith in you. Um, and then, like, when Harry protects Hermione when, like, Lupin is about to attack. He's super cute. It is cute. Um, so, yeah, then I just had the thing about the Patronus. Um, and then... When they save Sirius, like I said at the beginning of the episode, like, it's actually just a few lines in the book. Sirius asks how Ron is, and then he's like, you really are your father's son. And, like, that's it. He doesn't even say the thing to Hermione about her being the brightest witch of her age. Um, Lupin says that in the Shrieking Shack. Um, And then, like, on their way back to the hospital wing, they have to avoid Snape and Fudge. And... One thing I really hate how they did in the movies, like, Dumbledore says the thing about, like, not knowing what they were talking about when they're like, we did it. Oh, yeah. But in the book, he, like, actually addresses what they did, and it's like, okay, good. And then the another Snape 
being the worst is when he like flips out when they find that Sirius is gone and he he like harasses Harry about it he's like I know this was you Potter like and then there's the Um, worst thing ever update about timestamps so they get back to the hospital wing at two hours five minutes and 45 seconds which is the equivalent in the books that happens on page 314 so the span of them going back in time is a total of 68 pages in the book and a total of 43 minutes in the movie in the book the sequence of them doing something and then redoing it so like that night is 20.6 percent of the book Mm. in the movie it's 33 percent of the movie so it is like kind of a like 13 percent difference maybe isn't that much but like it goes from being like 50 percent to a third of the movie yeah so and like i mean it makes sense because in the movie they're like rushing to get to this night but in the book like there's a lot more things going on yep so then i have like can you imagine trying like explaining all of this to ron the next day like i know he would be so confused i feel like i would also have major fomo if i was ron i'd be like so obsessed that upset that i missed everything yeah and like you didn't get to go back in time like yeah um at least he was like in the shrieking shack at least he didn't miss that too he missed the first time yeah yeah. or he was there the first time he missed the second time um i just my last two comments are that the firebolt scene is the worst thing ever what it's the best Uh, ending scene of any movie ever it's the best ending shot the end of the book is actually really cute because harry's like so excited about getting sirius's letter Um, yeah and then and sirius like signs the hogsmeade permission slip and then yeah. my last bullet point is that I love these closing credits with the Marauder's Map. Like, I'm obsessed with it. I have always loved so it. So I sat and watched the credits. I, like, generally don't watch the credits when I watch movies. But I sat and I watched them because I was looking for, you know, that thing on the internet where, like, the feet in the closet look like two people are having sex. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, like, I guess, like, I'll just have the credits on and, like, kind of be looking. I noticed three things. First of all, the credits go Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grant, Emma Watson, and then the actress who plays Madame Rose Murda. <laughs> Is she first alphabetically? Um, I don't think so. Because <laughs> then it's not alphabetically. It's like, then it's like Alan Rickman huh. and the main people, you know? I just like, because that name came up like fourth and I was like, I know a lot of the names of the yeah, actors you were like, and actresses. <laughs> I didn't recognize this woman's name. Second, Warwick Davis is credited as playing wizard in this movie. <laughs> He's not even credited as Flitwick, I mean, which I find he hilarious. He isn't really Flitwick in the movie, like he doesn't teach a single charm. I mean, he's class. a professor though, but he's at the professor's yeah, table. Yeah, that's true. Thirdly, one of the rooms in like that you see in the credits is called Stink Bomb Store. In in Harry Potter, in the uh, Hogwarts. Yep. <laughs> well, so three maybe little that was fun a things about the credits. Addition to uh... <laughs> maybe just the store of all of yeah. the stink bombs that they own. <laughs> 
Um, okay. Oh, we have to do final thoughts. I was getting ready for pop quiz. Yes. Um, so, I feel like I've mentioned most of these, but I'll just run through my final thoughts. Um, they cut out almost all of Steve's bad moments, and I think that's, like my least favorite thing about the movie not because i like want to see snape being terrible but like i want other people to know how terrible he is um condensing hogsmeade and quidditch into one each is like annoying but i guess i get like why they did it for time um and then like cutting all the fighting with hermione and the firebolt plot and cutting diagon alley at the beginning those are all like sad things to miss and they really don't explain Secret Keeper and Marauders slash Animagus, like, background, which is fine if you read the book and, like, yeah. Are, but I find that the Secret Keeper thing is, like, something that people who, like, don't think about Harry Potter as much as the two of us do, um, and, like, as much as our listeners probably, like, I think it's something that people who are, like, really inundated with the movies and, like, aren't fully immersed into the culture... I think they forget how it all works and, like, why Sirius yeah. was in Azkaban and all of that. Um, well, with that, like, as a consequence of kind of nothing about the Marauders and the Secret Keeper and, like, their relationship really explained, do we even know, like, in the movies, is it ever said that James was a animagus? I don't think so. Mm, that's wild. Yeah. Um... But overall, like, this movie still holds a really special place in my heart. I, like, really love the visuals of it. I think that's, like, an Alfonso Cuaron thing. Spends a lot of time, like, with that stylistically. Um, Also, something we didn't mention is, like, a lot of the, like, character wands and stuff like that. It's, like, first comes up in this movie. Hermione's especially. Hermione's wand is Because we have, like, such a good... Yeah, because there's such a clear view of it, like, when her wand is held up to Draco's Mm -hmm. throat, like, you really see the wand in that shot. Yeah, and I do, like, love, I think, even though they cut so much Marauder stuff, like, I do really love the intro of Remus and Sirius into the series. I think, like, it does well for the movies, especially because, like, neither of them really get into much in the movies after this, so I feel like this is, like, their thing um, in the movies. And one minor thing is some people complain, but I like all the little in-between scenes. <laughs> I don't, like, have major thoughts about them. Like, I could take them or I could leave them. Um, it just seems like a convenient place and way for, like, when they're shown on TV to have a commercial break. But, um, so, at, for my final thoughts, I think this was really interesting. So, like I mentioned before, I watched this with the two other interns that I'm working with. And, like, both of them have seen all of the Harry Potter movies. And so, one of them, it's her favorite Harry Potter movie. And the other one, he rated it an 8 out of 10 at the end of the movie. So, I think it's very interesting because watching this as, like, not a Harry, super big Harry Potter fan that, like, cares a bunch about the adaptation i do think this is the most successful Mm. harry potter movie because i think it does the best job of balancing the adaptation with still creating an entertaining exciting film to watch i think the first two were better adaptations but i don't know if they were like as exciting to watch as pretty to watch um that kind of thing 
And then post three, they throw the adaptation out the window and just make like exciting movies to watch that are like spectacles to behold, basically. So I think this is the best one at balancing those two things. So I think that's why it's a lot of people's favorites and even people who like aren't super obsessed with book canon it is their favorite a lot of the time as well Mm -hmm. so i just thought that was an interesting observation to bring up so they they did cut out a lot um and like i mentioned the they cut out a lot of moments about malfoy and snape which we've already discussed and then they only show one trip to hawksmead they only show one quidditch match they cut out the divinations like divination is like a pretty big plot point Mm -hmm. in the book they like go to multiple divination classes there's the like predictions that we talked about when we talked about trelawney with like lavender's rabbit and all of those things that are just completely cut out the firebolt storyline is cut out they overall just do a lot less legwork to make the reveals work at the end which i already kind of talked about just super quickly um they don't hit as much about scabbers they don't talk about Sirius coming after harry as much so like in the book harry overhears arthur talking about it then arthur like talks to him about it and then draco hints at it later and then mcgonagall pulls him aside to talk to him about it and then he overhears the stuff at hogsmeade so it's just like very much less stressed so like in the book it's like a big mystery because like we know that Sirius is after harry but we don't know why and in the movie it's just like not as big of a thing And then they don't hint as much about Lupin's condition. Like I talked about, they don't show the scene where Snape comes in to give him the potion. They don't like talk about him being sick as often or looking sick or not looking super healthy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think those are minor things because they at least do some legwork. Like we do see the werewolf lesson. We do see scabbers more often in this. We do see at least one conversation about Sirius coming after Harry. So yeah. Hi, I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And we're the hosts of Out of Contracts, a show where we watch and talk about a random episode of Star Trek every other Sunday. For each podcast, we've used a a random number generator to select an episode of any of the Star Trek series. And then we talk about the story of the episode, what the writers hope to accomplish, and how the episode fits into the larger tapestry of Star Trek as a whole. The thing is, though, that each of us has only seen about a third of the Star Trek episodes in existence, which means that sometimes I'll watch a late period Deep Space Nine episode and have no idea what's going on. It's fun! So, if you've ever wondered about the logistics of love on the holodeck, or what it would really look like if all the water got sucked out of your body, then listen to Out of Contracts every other Sunday at outofcontracts.podbean.com or wherever you download podcasts. Okay. Okay. So now for the pop quiz, which this is going to be the same for all of our movie episodes and has been the same for the first two. What is your favorite scene in the movie? Yeah, so we got a few responses in our Facebook group. Leia said, I love the scene in Hogsmeade after Harry finds out about Sirius and his parents and leaves the pub under the invisibility cloak. Hermione and Ron have to follow his footsteps until he breaks down on a rock. One of my favorites because it takes the scene to another level emotionally and dan rad acts so well leah i'm sorry i thought he acted terribly (laughs) um okay i don't i don't think it's that bad but i don't think it's great either like it doesn't it doesn't come off as super cheesy or super fake to me like there are no tears rolling down Mm. his face which like doesn't help his cause but like it's 
I don't think me personally I don't think it's as bad as you think it is but I don't think it's great I I think I just thought it was bad because I like laughed when he yelled which like yeah but like that also that scene is just like so iconic in the Harry Potter fandom it's like become a thing yeah you know like he was their friend yeah um so I think that like that also doesn't add to the seriousness of it because like I normally just scream it along with him as he was that friend yeah like overacting you know so um Linda said when Hermione punches Draco Anne said when Hermione hits Draco and when she comments on her hair while she and Harry are waiting in the woods that um, is really funny is that really, really what like my that? hair looks like yeah. from the back it's funny <laughs> And then Justine said, Harry's Bride on Buckbeak. It also has great music in it. Um, which, yeah, I really like the, like, visuals of that scene. So, I mean, I, like, obviously my favorite scene is Hermione hitting Draco. Like, I, like there's no, like, it's no competition. It's pretty clear. Um, then, so I'll pick a backup scene just because I feel like that was obvious. And the other scene that I really like, just like as a scene, I mentioned this is the Bogart lesson, which I like wish it was longer and I wish it was more true to the books, but I just think it's kind of fun. And I think I just really like the music. <laughs> yeah. Um, my favorite scene is the boys in the common room Shocker. eating the candy. Uh, it's so, that like honestly might be one of my favorite scenes in like all of the movies. And I think part of the reason why I love it so much is because it's not in the books, mm. but it like does such a good, like we never see them just like hanging around, palling around eating candy at night. Like yeah. they get, they like start throwing the candy at each other too. And like it zooms out and just like being kids. Like I feel like we don't get enough of that in the books or in the movies. Yeah. And it's just so good. And I love it. All right. So you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, um, every other Tuesday, We've got our bonus episode coming up at some point, um, so be on the lookout for that. We'll We're shooting for mid-October, mid-October just yeah. so you have a gauge. Um, and then... I just knocked over my water. And then if you leave us a rating or a review, let us know. Um, do this before the end of September, and you can get your entry um, for the giveaway doubled yeah and then you can send us your questions on all forms of social media we are wizard studies podcast on facebook and instagram you can join our facebook group it's called wizard studies facebook wizard studies podcast group sorry and then on twitter we're wizard studies and then you can also email us at wizard studies podcast at gmail.com you can also support us on patreon if you feel so inclined to do so you can um, go to patreon.com and then just search for Wizard Studies Podcast in the search bar. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. <laughs>